Who is this who enters unannounced? You know damn well. My name is Boba Fett. Left for dead on the sands of Tatooine. I intend to rule with respect. In difficult times, fear is a sure bet. Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host. And today we're going to crack open a book that's a TV show and talk about chapters that are really episodes. We are talking about the book of Boba Fett by popular demand, but I am not here by myself. I have an incredible panel of my best good friends that were beating down my door as soon as I was saying I wanted to talk about uh, the the first half of the book of Boba Fett. So uh, we'll we'll just kind of go uh, counterclockwise. I, we'll we'll, uh, we'll start with uh, uh, no stranger to a a Mike Seibert Radio uh, podcast. One of my best good friends in the space. It's fabulous fan artist uh, Apollo. How uh, how you doing, my friend? Hi, I'm doing well. Just busy working on art and whatnot, and taking care of my little corgi. You'll probably see him in the background um, back here. So I can't wait. And uh, <laughs> and you know, and just in case I try not to figure earlier, you've uh, you've got commissions open, right? Yeah, I have them open. Um, you can find out more on my pinned tweet. Um, at Robo Apollo on Twitter and then also on Instagram too. Awesome. Very good. And we'll definitely uh, talk about that later uh, before we close out. But speaking of uh, good friends that are artists uh, returning also, see, it's kind of weird. We got like this whole like kind of, I, I guess all of my friends are like I, either transformers content creators or transformers artists and sometimes both but uh <laughs> but returning to the show is uh artist blackie shepherd uh thanks for taking the time to join us it's my pleasure man thanks for asking me cool and or, or uh, actually i should say thanks for responding to me basically forcing my way into this <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and uh and rounding out our panel is uh is not an artist as far as no, i know you don't want to um, see me draw from uh from the transmissions podcast it's uh it's jeremy aka yakko thanks for hey. uh jumping on with us yeah thanks for having me on i mean Apollo and I talked Mandalorian with you, so I figured yeah. I wanted to try to get back on this. 
Well, and it's kind of funny. So, like, you know, obviously this is the live stream and it'll end up being yeah. a podcast at some point. But I was going through my Facebook memories and uh, one year ago tonight, coincidentally, on, on January 24th of 2021, uh, Apollo and myself were on your show on Transmissions talking about Icon Online. So yeah. it's just it, it's just one of those weird things where it just uh, like what are the chances that like one year to the day that that we would back here? be back here doing uh casting pods yeah one no, in 365 yes <laughs> that's the chances i am no mathematician although, obviously <laughs> although in covid time it feels like about five years right. it really does it really does and i was looking at those facebook memories too and i'm like i'm pretty sure my beard was a lot darker than it it's, yes. it's 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 been uh it's been a rough uh two weeks yeah. of flattening the curve for sure but um <laughs> yeah. uh, so yeah so um we're talking about uh the book of boba fett and like you know jeremy said that this is kind of a a sequel of sorts uh to our conversation about mandalorian that uh that we did uh previously and i the Sentiment and results or reviews on Book of Boba Fett have been kind of weirdly mixed. Um, and that was some of the stuff I kind of wanted to get to in this conversation. Some of the takes are very valid. Some takes that I've seen that I've been sharing in my Facebook group are just kind of straight garbage. So I'm kind of hoping that maybe we can kind of like separate the garbage from legitimate criticism and um, and see where we land where we're at at this particular time because i almost did a show last week after the uh the third episode with the the low speed chase with the with the vespa scooters and whatnot but i thought you know what i'll give it another week and i'm <laughs> glad that i did because now that the fourth episode has aired we're officially over halfway through and for me it feels like we're finally getting somewhere, uh, but I, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, and we'll kind of loop back around to that. I thought a good place to start any conversation talking about um, Boba Fett and a, and a Boba Fett TV show, which, again, still, even at, at you know, the ads, I can't get away from the commercials, and, like, you know, th there's, like, bus billboards and things like that. I, I am still in disbelief that there is like a Boba Fett television show and that like folks that have no awareness to the Star Wars stuff are just talking about it. we're like talking about it on like Good Morning America and things like that. And it's just it, it's weirdly surreal that we've come to this time where this dude finally gets his day. But um, but as as I said, there, there's tons to uncork. What I would like to start with, though, is kind of talking about what are, for lack of a better term, what our relationship is to the character of Boba Fett and maybe like some of the baggage that we carry with us in. Because I get the feeling that a lot of the discussion here is going to be an exercise in expectations versus disappointment. Um, so um, with that, let's just kind of, uh, we'll, we'll go in reverse order uh, from, uh, from the way I went earlier. And let's, uh, let's start with Jeremy, who I know is a uh, deep into Star Wars lore and has schooled me on, on a great many things. So I, I'm very curious though, being in a very similar age group, What's what's your connection to Boba Fett? I mean, well, obviously the original trilogy um, is what like 
two minutes of total screen time or however little that was. Um, but one of the coolest looking character designs. Um, as a kid, I was never into the Star Wars toys for some reason. Um, too many giant robots. <laughs> um, but so I never got in on the whole like Boba Fett action figure and stuff. But um, just the movies and then uh, the Clone Wars series where you get to see young Boba Fett and you know the prequels with with him as a kid just following all that and then the comics after disney took him took over star wars and there's been some good boba fett stories in the comics so sure my my history has just been kind of um scratching the the surface i i have i'm not like the the biggest boba fett fanboy but i always enjoyed the character when he popped up so gotcha I, I'm muted. No, I'm not. Never mind. I thought I was, but then it turns out I wasn't. Um, Come on, Cyber. Get it together, buddy. I know, right? <laughs> it's so true. Um, so I, I guess a uh, follow-up question, and, and we'll we'll kind of uh, piece this out. Actually, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to keep going around the wheel. Again, I will figure it out. So, um, so Blackie, being the the veteran of the uh, of the group, both figuratively and literally, I didn't mean it that way. But uh, being being the um, having seen Star Wars so much earlier than us, like you saw it before it was called Episode Four, that that kind of thing. Right. You, have, you have you have an experience. Just say it. I'm the old guy. Yeah. Just go ahead. Feel free. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Yeah. So, so being the uh, the the old fart of the group here tonight, um, I, I would imagine that your experience with this character is different than ours because you probably met him under different circumstances. But what's 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 your tether to the the old? So the first time I saw Boba Fett was on the holiday special. You know, I. I remember, you know, waiting impatiently for the holiday special to start. Um, I was young enough that I didn't see all the warts. You know, I was just thrilled to be seeing more Star Wars, you know. Uh, and then when the cartoon came on, I was I was just enraptured by Boba Fett. The design, like, like Jeremy said, the design is so strong that, you know, it makes up for the fact that he's really just a suit you know, uh, yeah. in the, in the original trilogy. Um, now I was into the toys, right. And so, you know, as the toys came out, I was building head cannon, you know, for these characters, cause a character like Boba Fett, you can't help it. You can't help but do so. He has so little on the page, you know? So, uh, and that was before we knew what a Mandalorian was. That's, you know, there really was no, backstory to him in fact the only backstory i remember was from uh there used to be a newsletter that you could get if you were a member of the star wars fan club called bantha tracks uh and in bantha tracks he they it mentioned the word mandalorian but that's it man like it's it's all they gave you was he's a mandalorian and that was back when he was a Mandalorian, you know, before they'd gotten it all figured out. Or yeah, it, yeah. It, they might have even had the the line say he wears the armor of a Mandalorian. I can't remember the specificity of it, but the word Mandalorian sure. was out there. And I just remember thinking what a cool word that was. Right. Um, and so, you know, and then you get the toy and I'm a young artist. And so I'm drawing him all the time. But to be honest, my favorite. I, my favorite bounty hunter was IG-88. You know, I just thought he was rad because yeah. he's so inhuman. You know, he he looked like an like a like a appliance. You know, mm -hmm. um, 
and so but I, I liked them all. I liked Bosk and and you know the whole group of them. I just thought they were great. I thought they were the coolest part of Empire Strikes Back specifically because you didn't see much of them, you know. Yeah. Um, and then uh, now of of all the things in the world that I am cynical about, Star Wars is not one of them, right? And so uh, when when before the prequels came out, when it was still, you know, first Marvel and then Dark Horse doing comics, you know, there was the presence of Boba Fett in the comics, especially the Dark Horse stuff, was a little bit different. He had a different name, and, and I can't remember what his whole backstory was, but I thought, okay, if this is what we're doing with Boba Fett, that's fine, you know, and, and I was never a huge fan, but again, that armor just killed me, you know, the, the look of the character. Um but then as he started to get nailed down, and especially once the prequels came out and we we, we get informed that it's Jango Fett and that he is an alt, unaltered clone of Jango Fett. And then, you know, I bought into it, man. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Star Wars through and through. So, you know, if that's the way it's going to be, that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I, I, I kind of fell in love with that version of the character because I really liked Jango Fett. I thought Jango Fett was a great addition to the lore. You know, mm-hmm. that he wasn't a bad guy. He was just like he says himself. He's just a simple man trying to make his way in the galaxy. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and I thought that's cool. That's why I, I'm i aggressively annoyed by some of the takes that I've seen on the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. Uh, because they refuse to allow a character to develop. You know, they, they want him to be their version of him rather than the version of him that, like any person, you grow from experiences. And having been been eaten by a sarlacc you know one that's gonna that's gonna make a mark you know yeah yeah a little but, PTSD there yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it, it'll leave a mark you know both figuratively and literally you know that's right. yeah a- absolutely um so how about you apollo be if, if blackie is the the old fella then that would make you the 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 young whippersnapper i guess of the of the group there what's uh uh what's what's your connection to the to the character well, I discovered Star Wars when they re-released the original trilogy, Trilogy, I think it was in the 90s before they did the prequel movies, and I thought Bo- Boba Fett was super cool, like I was really into Star Wars, I had like all the main characters as toys, and I remember it was hard finding them, um, and then I really got into the, um, Bo- the books by Bantham Books, um, the Star Wars books. So like I read Tales of the Bounty Hunter and the Thrawn trilogy and like all those books, there were tons of them. So, you know, I learned from those books more about the character of Boba Fett. And I just thought he was super cool. And like, I was a little kid at the time. So like I would play with my action figures, Star Wars, and um, I had my own head cannon for him as well. So, um you know, it was just, I thought he was really cool. And then like, you know, watching the prequel movies, finding out he was a clone that kind of upset me at first, actually, (laughs) as a little kid. So I was used to being, um, you know, disappointed with uh, how like it was different from the books than versus the, um, you know, what he actually was, but I've actually grown to like him having that backstory. So Awesome. And so, so my, uh, my experience kind of like, kind of like 
threads a lot of those uh, uh, same experiences that you all had. I my first exposure to Boba Fett was through the Kenner action figure, and I I was huge into Star Wars before I was Transformers and GI Joe and He Man, because um, it it was something that I think was already there and established, whereas some of the other stuff like like He Man and Joe and Transformers I kind of found along the way, but it was kind of more like here's Star Wars. I was like, oh okay, this is cool. And I was, I, I was taken immediately by the character design. I mean, specifically the helmet. I mean, that the the T visor is just iconic. And then um, even even just the mix of colors, you know, with with the blues and the greens and the, and the 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 red and the yellow all mixed in together. Not a lot of those Kenner action figures were especially colorful. So he had like just like this badass design. He was very colorful and that just just always really uh, uh stuck with me. Uh but as much as I would like to say that, you know, I, I've been a, you know, Boba Fett fan for, you know, as long as I can remember in my entire life, there was a time, much like other folks my age, where you kind of put Star Wars aside. You know, you kind of set it down. There's other interests, you know, it's like I was getting into uh, uh, comic books and video games and, and other toy lines. And, you know, uh, Star Wars just wasn't something that I was super into for a while. So it just kind of, it just kind of sat on the shelf. And even with the resurgence in the early 90s with like the Thrawn trilogy and the new novels and all that, it didn't it didn't really spark my imagination. And I really kind of got back into Star Wars uh, around kind of the time that Apollo was talking about, kind of like uh, at or around the time of the special editions. I was in high school and I... Uh, um, there uh there was a girl that i liked and i remember on her uh on i i don't remember if it was a textbook or a notebook or a peachy or whatever but like right next to her uh she had like you know like a handwritten like dead kennedy's logo and right next to it she had scrawled out boba fett lives and I just, I just thought that that was like the coolest thing, and um, you know, we we became uh, uh, fast friends, and it was really kind of my my friendship uh, with this person that kind of like really rekindled this uh, um, th this affection for uh, for this character, and then and then the special editions come out, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's him, he's here, and like there's there's like that extra tacked on scene where where you know, he's he's hanging out with Jabba and, you know, and we're talking about all of this um, at, at school and like, you know, around the same time, like the 90s uh, Power of the Force 2 figures are coming out. And of course, you know, it's all like, let's go to go to Toys R Us, see if we can find that Boba Fett figure. And and from there, then I get into the books and the comics and it's and it's just no no turning back from there. But it, it, it starts with the character design, but then it evolves into a friendship and hen and headcanon. And now it's a character that's, you know, that, that I'm just, I, I have woven into part of my fan identity in that, like, you know, that's a character that I'm always, um, that I've always been into and always will be into. And I've, I've, 
um, taking some shit for it. Like I like, you know, when you're on Twitter.com and talking about how badass Boba Fett is and some knucklehead's gone. Go, oh, yeah, the dude that got hit with the stick. And it became like uh, the, the, being a Boba Fett fan is kind of like a weird um it's like a weird sine wave or like peaks and valleys where it's like it's cool to like Boba Fett and then it's like very uncool to like Boba Fett. So now it's well, it's, it's you know, he is an exercise in the fanboy mentality, you know, yes. I mean, because the fact is he was not in the film very much and he is just an empty suit up till, you know, up until he's expanded upon. And he does go out kind of like a punk in Return yeah. of the Jedi, like the easiest kill of easy kills, you know what I mean? <laughs> like a blind guy by accident puts him out of the game, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, anybody that really stands that character it is kind of a and you know they become an easy mark for you know especially for i keep using this word for for the cynical fans you know who yeah. are always going to try to be cooler than thou or hipper than thou and 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 you know well how can you like boba fett you know whereas you know i i learned early on to wear it on my sleeve and and be like how can you not you know yeah. just you know what are you an idiot you know, but then I'm a big fan of calling people idiots. <laughs> <laughs> You're not shy. I, I will. I'm I will give you that. And so, yeah. So so it went through kind of like that that postmodern like, you know, it's it, it's it it's cool and hip to hate on the character. But I think that kind of um, emboldened me the other direction to be like, you know, it's OK to like things. And it's like. Well, oh, yeah, it's just an empty suit. Oh, he goes out like a punk. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Well, he looks cool. I like him. You know, and I start getting right. like. He's just an empty he's, suit, but he's the coolest looking empty suit in pretty much yeah. all of pop media. I mean, you know, you, so, you I mean, that's, that's a, you know, that's a pretty good empty suit to be. Yeah, uh -huh. I mean, look at all the all the nameless stormtroopers and, you know, they all go out like punks, too. Right. <laughs> and right? at least he looked good doing it. Right. And the, the one thing that I used to counter that with is, you know, of all the characters in the Star Wars universe, there were only a handful that showed no fear in the face of Darth Vader. Yeah. Right. And, mm -hmm. and Boba Fett was one of them. He was like, hey, dude, you know, uh, I don't care what your game is. I need my pay. You know, mm -hmm. that's what it was about for him, you know. And, and clearly and, they had a past with the whole no disintegration lines. But, I mean, right. obviously yeah, there was like a disintegration. He's like, I'm the talking to you. <laughs> right. You know, like uh, there was Tarkin, you know, who, who had yeah. no fear in the face of Vader. Uh, there's the dummy who, you know, had no fear and then got choked out. There's two <laughs> dummies that had no yeah. fear and got choked out. And then one could argue Princess Leia, but I my argument with that has always been that Princess Leia was manufacturing courage. You know, like she was afraid of Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. You know, she just she couldn't she couldn't show it you know she yeah. had to be strong because that's who she is as a character but i mean any normal human being would be wetting themselves if they were in that situation yeah. absolutely absolutely so um so so now that we've we've got uh we we've owned some of our uh baggage let's let's kind of talk about in the modern times so um you know jeremy had mentioned that you know he he uh well, actually, post-2002, because I think 2002 and beyond will also kind of inform some of these 
garbage takes that we're going to talk about. Like I, I read a read an article on Screen Rant that like you know talks about like. Um, oh, Boba Fett has lost his mystique or some such like that. And and it feels like it's an article that's written um, in a world where Attack of the Clones and the Clone Wars and all of that media post that just doesn't exist. So it's like what that writer's imagination of what they think Boba Fett mm-hmm. is versus what he actually is, is, is weird and interesting. So... For for me at least, like um, I I agree with Blackie. I think that not only is is Jango Fett a really cool character and a really cool um, addition to the canon, I I think he's largely underrated. Also, like I I liked. I mean, I remember being very taken with Jango as well. It's like okay, well I like Boba Fett, but you're giving me this dude that's like you know kind of like a a Adam Strange gunslinger. Uh, that that's different from Boba Fett. It's like I, and I just like the colors. You know, as and much goes, as I well, and, and he goes one on one with Obi Wan. He, he, he kicked Obi Wan around. Yeah. You know that landing platform pretty good. Yeah. You know, and that's no small feat. You know. Exactly, and it, it gave me at a time where I mean now we're we're rotten with other Mandalorians. It, it was it was just cool to see a different version of that suit you know, done differently and in, in a completely different style. And like, you know, Django's armor was, you know, clean and polished. Whereas, you know, Boba Fett wore all of the, all of the scars with him. So I, I, I always found, I would like to see that philosophy kind of explored more like in, like in a book or something they've, I, to my knowledge, I don't think that's really been addressed. Um, I mean, but, I, I think we've all, all we've seen is what they've shown us in this series him yeah. you know you, you see those like Camino flashbacks but yeah i mean i i would like to see that too i i think what you're seeing in the in the series is boba fett finding who he is as a yeah. person and you know i i think it would line up more like what django django was yeah you know and i i think i just uh i i want to see some flashbacks where it's just django being a good dad yeah <laughs> i just well, think like yeah. That that's what. So before we started filming, I you know, or it might have been after, uh, you know, the the concept of growth. You know, in my mind, you know, what I'm seeing is, you know, Boba Fett watched his father, you know, be what he was, and watched him be the progenitor of this clone army, and then watched him speed off and not come back, right? Uh, and so then he kind of falls into the only life that he really can, which is making his way in the world and using the genetic skills that he has, which are passed on to him by Django Fett, you know, but I, you know, I think if I'm, and I hope I'm not reading more into the series than, than is actually there. But I think what happened is Boba Fett, you know, essentially gets defeated, gets thrown down into the Sarlacc. Anybody who might have been able to help him just bails on him. And he manages to fight his way out of the Sarlacc. And and in his mind, there's a certain mathematical equation that happened, which is if he continues following the path of his father, he's going to wind up headless on the sand somewhere, you know. And so he he has to kind of except that he is genetically his father, but he has to choose a path that is not violence, you know, that is not based on might, 
but rather based on his wits and based on his understanding of the psychology of the people around him, which is why he says he wants to rule by respect, not by fear, because he yeah, right. is capable of ruling by fear. He could do that, that task. That's not the problem. And he yeah. also doesn't want to work for people that are obviously not out for his own best interest. Right, yeah. which his father did, you know, and yeah. lost his head for it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, um, you know, you brought up a good point that, you know, Boba Fett was pretty much abandoned as a child. And so he hasn't had a family or anyone, no support system. And so he has had to get by on his own. And there was a quote from last week's episode I thought was really good where Fennec's talking with Boba and she's saying, you know, living with the Tuscans has made you soft. And he says, no, it has made me strong. You can only get so far without a tribe. And I think the Tuscans showing him kindness and, um, you know, rescuing him and teaching him their ways, you know, really opened his eyes that there's another way. You don't have to solve problems through violence. You can solve Mm -hmm. it through peace. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That that's uh, uh, terrific observations. Um, so be, be, before we kind of, you know, do more of a, a further deep dive, the last thing I want to talk about kind of preamble wise is, you know, so Mandalorian is announced. And um, for me, I thought it's like, oh, cool. Well, so since Boba Fett isn't available for whatever reason, this is like the, the next best thing. You know, it's like, yeah. My, my baggage going into Mando was, oh, well, it's discount Boba Fett, whatever. <laughs> and But I, I remember as a, as a kid, as a teenager, thinking, you know, it would be really cool. You know, it's like when you're hanging around with with your friends and, and there's uh, maybe substances in the air or whatever. But I, I remember in particular telling my friends that, like, you know, it would be really cool would be um, a Boba Fett Western. It's like you do, you know, because I think maybe I just recently seen Unforgiven. I it was probably like stuck in my head that way. It's like do Unforgiven, but with Boba Fett, and just I I just couldn't shake it. So then Mandalorian comes around, and really in a lot of ways, that's what it is. Man, Mandalorian's a western, in um, in in a lot that's of his book of Boba Fett. Sure, yeah, yeah, I and definitely, and the oh, gosh. The thing that still the the zeitgeist that Mandalorian became still kind of puzzles me a little bit because, like, I knew I was excited about it, but I couldn't figure out why, like, the the greater cultural consensus was. And then uh, then the baby Yoda shows up. And <laughs> and and then that just kind of becomes like the the whole thrust of the series, which, you know, it, it's fine. And I was just like, cool. You know what? I I like this Mandalorian guy. I like his quest. I like his his ideology. I like everything about it. And I felt like originally that Mandalorian was kind of like a response to what we wanted from Boba Fett, but could never get so they're just like we're going to create this whole new character and give you all of the boba fett you would ever want i never thought that i would see boba fett ever again you know uh the sequels came and went and i was just like well that that's it 
And then there, there's the rumors, and it's like Tamora Morrison is cast. But it still wasn't until that Robert Rodriguez penned episode that I really believed that Boba Fett was not only going to return, but return in a way that is incredibly satisfying and validating. I, I remember, uh, this is mildly embarrassing, but I remember watching the episode and just like squeezing my wife's hand because like, I was just so excited that, that it was happening. I'm like, this is what I thought I always wanted but never thought I would get as as an adult in a world where legacy sequels are, you know, uh, rotten uh, um, all over the place. And so so that that was very uh, powerful for me. And and then getting to the end of the the end of the Mandalorian season where it's like. You know, he comes in and in his freshly repainted armor and goes into Jabba's palace. And it's like coming December 2021, the book of Boba Fett. And it's like, oh, my God, what what is this even going to be? So be, I, I guess before we we kind of uh, continue our discussion into the episodes, what were some of your expectations for what like a Boba Fett solo series would be um and and where did you think the character was going to go after after that um uh shocking and exciting return uh, let's uh let's start with Apollo um well you know how the Mandalorian season ended with Boba Fett on Jabba's throne that really I think set up for me like that it was going to be involved on tattooing. Like, I honestly had no idea what it was going to be about. Like, my only speculation was that, oh, he's going to become some sort of, you know, crime lord, you know, you know, then take maybe take over Jabba's territory. That's all I speculated about it. I had no idea that it was going to go in the direction it's it has so far like the whole backstory with him um you know we all know he obviously survived the um, sarlacc um you know and um the whole thing with him being rescued by the tuscans even though he they hinted at that because he was dressed in the tuscan robes and had the weapon in the mandalorian i should have made that connection so um i really didn't expect it to be the way it it's gone so far um but i've liked it um you know and it wasn't what i expected and that's that's okay you know i'm actually yeah. glad to see that this character um you know has a heart and he really wants to help you know the people of tattooing absolutely how how about you jeremy I mean, a lot of the same. I, you know, I figured it was going to be trying to consolidate the power vacuums left by Jabba the Hutt because, um, you know, obviously Bib Fortuna is does not have the the cachet to to maintain, you know, a, an empire or like a little mini empire like Jabba right. had. Right. Um, but beyond that, I just. I tried to not even speculate because I just I put my faith in John Favreau and Dave Filoni. You know they have earned, you know my 
my respect in that you know pretty much everything that that they have done in Star Wars I have enjoyed so I just I knew it was going to be Tatooine uh, when I saw Fennec Shand was also going to be in it I yeah mean, one of the best new characters that, that they've created and I was just along for the ride not you know there, there's you know hopefully we'll revisit um the marshal uh, na- his name Cobb Vanth Cobb Vanth yeah his, um, Rylan was, Gibbons <laughs> yeah, he, he was in um, some of the Chuck Wendig um, the aftermath trilogy of oh, okay. and so like I was familiar with him and you know knowing that he's out there on Tatooine and Boba Fett's there I'm just I'm hoping he shows up but beyond that yeah I had I was just trying to just keep my expectations you know not really low but just keep keep on an even keel and just go in and enjoy what i'm given sure so a uh, quick point of order we're, we're we're just calling it tatooine now right tatooine it's so funny tomorrow morrison is is a treasure by the way i i've watched a lot of interviews with him and like specifically like with regards to like you know the name of the ship because that's that's come up uh for for dumb reasons and well that's not dumb reasons but but i i like his response to it he's like oh i hear they're calling it fire spray fire spray gunship i like fire spray gunship it sounds cool and anyway that's 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 my terrible uh uh tomorrow morrison i just um, love the way he pronounces like tatooine and boba fett yeah yeah uh, it's, and and again, going back to his performances, Django. It's like I, there, there's something captivating about his diction and the just the the timbre with which he speaks. Like you know, he'll like, you know, he'll be quiet or he'll he'll like elongate s sounds or just 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 a quiet menace was was kind of the kind of the way that I always kind of read Django, and I like that he's doing something like that here but it's also different it, it's um you know like like blackie was talking about earlier about you know growth and development and it feels like he's not just doing the same old stuff because he, he's voiced clones for years and you know he's done a ton of stuff but he feels it feels like he's specifically doing something new here and it's and and it's terrific yeah. um so, but um, so Blackie, what uh, so what what kind of um, what kind of baggage did you carry into it? What 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 did you think something called the Book of Boba Fett was was gonna be? I uh, I I don't really carry a lot of expectations into these kinds of things. Like uh, Jeremy says, I, I I was all on board for anything Dave Filoni and John Favreau had up their sleeves. Um, you know, I, I, I've liked everything that they've done and they know Star Wars. They they have a very authentic uh, feel for Star Wars, more so than most of the other stuff that has come since uh, Lucas sold it. Um, and uh, so, you know, like just what was obvious, you know, I, I figured he was going to have killed a Tuscan and taken his robes and Yaffe stick. Yeah. Um, so I, I like the fact that they changed that. I, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the Western connection. I, I, you know, 
I, I didn't have a lot of expectations. I knew it would be on Tatooine. I knew it was going to be Boba Fett trying to come into his own. That was pretty much it. Um, what I really appreciate about it, though, is the fact that they're folding into the story certain tropes that are common to Westerns, you know, uh, like the tribe of savages. But rather than just being a tribe of savages, they're pulling a man called horse. Did you ever see the Dustin Hoffman movie, A Man Called Horse? You yeah, should. I, I mean, not not recently, but yeah, no, I, I saw it uh, when I was a kid. And and so it's or, you know, uh, one could even say Dances with Wolves, although that's that's a much more superficial kind of take on that version mm -hmm. of a story. Um, but the idea of this, you know, tribe of in quotes savages who are in fact not savages at all you know and have a very complicated and nuanced uh, uh society that they've built up they're just they're not savages they're savage because they have to defend what little piece of earth or tatooine in this case i pronounce tatooine like mark hamill does uh because i figure you know dude grew up luke grew yeah. up on so he knows how to say it. Uh, but uh, so, you know, the fact that they were using that trope, you know, to 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 kind of make Boba Fett into uh, the man called horse, you know, where he he very organically weaves his way into the life of this tribe. You know, I thought that was great, you know, um, and so but as far as expectations going in, it was really just, you know, uh, like old dude says in uh, Night of the Creeps, you know, uh, thrill me. Yeah, there you go. That's that's awesome. I love that. So um, let me see. So I, I was going to ask you about uh, Robert Rodriguez, but I, I had uh, I had one last point I wanted to point out before uh, before we go there. In that, like, am I wrong in thinking that Book of Boba Fett? is a spin-off of the Mandalorian in that as opposed to a show about Boba Fett. Um, and I, I think that I think that distinction is important to what I think people's expectations might be. So like if there's a show that's about Boba Fett, folks might be expecting what their headcanon is of what Boba Fett was in 1983, not necessarily as he is, as we see him in 2020 yep. and build as a spinoff of uh, Mandalorian. Am I, am I out of my mind on that? No, I mean, I think it's definitely a spinoff. I mean, if you went from return of the Jedi to book of Boba Fett, you're like, who is this character? Uh, it definitely builds off what you see in Mandalorian and, I mean, Mandalorian, each episode is also a chapter. I mean, it's yeah, it's a book, too. You're just reading the next or watching the next book in the series. Right. Right. What an interesting title. The the book of Boba Fett. I, I think it's I think it's clever and I think it folds in even more appropriately. The the Mandalorian naming convention of naming each episode a a chapter. It makes it more confusing as you go through seasons it's like right. oh wait a sec so this is chapter 14 which means it's season two episode six that that yeah. legislation gets a little confusing it, after a while but know, i'm hoping we do get a novelization so you can have the book of the book of boba fett mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then oh, comic Marvin book adaptation. Did. So you yeah. have a comic adaptation of the book of the book of Boba yes. Fett. Yeah. <laughs> I love where all this is going. So one of the one of the uh, driving forces, you know, we, we've talked a lot about. Well, not a lot. We've mentioned um, uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni, but um, I, I think one of the creative voices most responsible for this is Robert Rodriguez. And and Blackie, you had said something. I forget if it was in a Facebook post or a tweet or something. Um, but uh, what would you like to say about Robert Rodriguez as we as we uh, as we kind of start here? Well. Uh... See if I can find I'm, that. Post. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I have mixed feelings about Robert Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's as good a director as it seems most people think he is. I don't think he's as good an action director as most people think he is. Uh, and I think he's a straight up bad director when it comes to character interactions, when it comes to just di- directing a dialogue scene. Now, having said that, what he does, the things that I like that he does, I really, really like. Um, I like when he goes over the top. I like that he's not afraid to go stupid with it. Um, one of my favorite things in the world is Planet Terror, yeah. uh, which is just as over the top as you can get. And it's exploitative and it's just it's just everything that I love in in horror fiction, you know, um, but the things that I don't like that Robert Rodriguez does, I really don't like, and I Mm -hmm. find it difficult to watch. And unfortunately episode three is kind of, uh, of the book or chapter three, I should say of book of Boba Fett is, is a shining bright example of the things that Robert Rodriguez does that I don't like because Robert Rodriguez approached that episode with his tongue in his cheek Mm -hmm. and he wanted to make an homage of a significant sequence of of that chapter from the fast time or not fast time uh back to the future uh mm-hmm. and then he wanted to you know fold in a very on the nose reference to the mod movement in yep. uh, from britain in the 60s um and the aesthetic of the scooters with the mirrors and everything yeah. and it's like hey dude i own quadrophenia i've seen the movie I, you know, why don't you not take me completely out of the fiction? You know, to me, him wanting to plant his tongue in his cheek and make these kind of winks to Back to the Future and winks to, to this the mod culture, to me, that's disrespecting the fiction that we have built up to this point. And it took me completely out of the Book of Boba Fett. And it reminded me that I'm watching this guy who wants to play fast and loose and do his little, you know, the slide where all the junk comes into the car and the stupid scooters and the four different colors. And and I I found myself going, man, if if the rest of the season mirrors this, I'm not going to like this show very much, you know. Right. And so I was really kind of on pins and needles about episode or chapter four. And luckily, chapter four, you know, draw it back in. And I had to remind myself that. Rodriguez had directed other episodes specifically of the Mandalorian that I thought were great. And he had done a perfectly good job and he didn't do any of the silly stuff. So why they would go so tonally far afield in chapter three of book of Boba Fett is a little bit baffling to me. It seems like something that some somewhere in the committee, you know, they should have gone, could we not do the mods and can we not do the back to the future slow-mo chase through the streets you know yeah i mean the the 
the train sequence I thought was the perfect Back to the Future homage. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. You know that that was fine. And it was it was in the milieu of of the 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 world that they're building. Right. You know, but when you've got these the, three or these four scooters that look nothing like aesthetically like anything yeah. else in the galaxy, they're too clean. And, and and look exactly like something from 1960s Europe, you know, or the or Britain. Uh, and then, you know, it just, it really, I was kind of blown away and I was baffled at how they could have let those choices, you know, go yeah. through. Yeah. And, and I know we're bouncing around a bit, but, uh, you know, since that, that seems to be the most polarizing uh, episode is that is that third episode with with the uh, the the Power Rangers gang well, and it's, it's, you know I don't want to make too much of it because if you cut out if you redesigned those scooters okay mm-hmm. and you made them look like literally anything else uh, and you pulled back just a little bit on the Back to the Future references that he sprinkled through that chase I think the episode well, overall. Was, yeah. and, and if you edited the, the chase the to make it a faster chase. Right, and and not so on the nose. I mean, if right. you want to do a Back to the Future reference, that's fine. But, I mean, the ones that he threw in there were so on the nose that it was like, oh, come on, man. You're, you're making it hard for me to remember I'm watching Star Wars here. Right, right, exactly. And one of my takes on it, too, and I, I agree with you, Blackie. We probably shouldn't uh, uh, dwell too much on it. But I, um, I, I kept thinking that the pace of the chase was maybe because of the limitations of Robert Rodriguez just like making stuff in his backyard you know it's just like put this dude in the volume you know let put him let him go I mean, to a studio or something like that I'm pretty sure I, they were in the volume yeah I'm sure they were in the volume I, I would yeah. assume they were there, there's something that I can't quite put my finger on but there's something about Book of Boba Fett that feels cheap that it's like it has it has like mm-hmm. a weird video texture to it. Yeah. That, that and and I don't know if it's because of that. Maybe it's COVID I, stuff. For all we know, I I, I really well, don't know. But but the 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 Mandalorian is filmed under those same restrictions, and it doesn't. In my opinion, it doesn't it, share that same tone. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. I feel like it's just it's the setting of Tatooine. There's not a lot of stuff in the background. You know, it's desert. It's or it's all similar you know earth tone colors mm-hmm. whereas in mandalorian you had you know all different you know environments you had like grassy areas you had the ice world you had you know the the caves with the spiders and you know yeah yeah all, all and, different and they're also making a number of really pedestrian choices and i think on purpose you know they're they're trying to do the um last man standing story or trope where you know they're centering everything right there in uh, is it is it moss Eisley or moss espa that they're espa Espa, uh, so they're centering everything in moss espa and so you know there's only so much variation you're going to get out of that you know uh it was the same thing in you know uh attack of the clones and and uh the phantom menace all those scenes in uh moss whatever they were they were in uh you know they they all felt like they could have been shot on a single soundstage and probably were mm-hmm. uh you know over the course of you know i just want to see Watto again i just want to throw that in there <laughs> yeah I, I want to see yeah. Watto again. yeah that, that would oh, be dope. That, 
<laughs> that, would, that would be a lot of fun. It's like, oh, times have been tough. Actually, I'll tell you, the only, the most, the thing that disturbs me the most about the book of Boba Fett um, is the aggressive straight and whiteness of, uh, of Tamir Merson's teeth. It's like, man, that they should have done something, you know, throw a grill on that guy or something, yeah. you know, or, or a scene where a droid is fixing his teeth. So there's some reason for him to have these really just awesome choppers, you know, well, or, or just have a scene where showing how the Tuscans take care of their teeth on, right. you know, even though they're covered with the masks and stuff, but just sure. And he learned that. Because yeah, that, that took me out of it a little bit too. <laughs> yeah, he learned he, excellent dental care from the uh, from right. the Tuscans. Ironically mm-hmm. enough, in the Sarlacc pit, he was slowly being devoured. Except there were like these enzymes that were like rebuilding his teeth because yeah. you know. There you go. Well, well, right. that was that's that's what was in that tube that he uh, jacked off of that <laughs> that uh, stormtrooper. Oh Jesus, phrasing. Uh, but they, they, he took from the stormtrooper, and he's like, "Ooh, fluoride treatment, sweet." Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I guess from there, let, let's talk about the the first episode. And like you know, it, it starts off basically with uh, with Patton Oswald's uh, uh, filibuster. <laughs> I mean, it's like- I, I wonder to what degree that was intentional. Because it almost is exactly as as Patton Oswalt described oh. it. You know, we pan down and the armored fifth <laughs> the of Boba Fett comes armor. out. You know, yeah, the gloved head. And I thought, <laughs> oh, did they do that on purpose? Is that like a specific I, choice? I bet they did. Yeah, I, mean, I would think so. I, I, I saw a uh, TikTok video where, where they put it side by side and it's it, it's pretty hilarious. Um. But yeah, so so he uh, uh, Boba Fett escapes from uh, the Sarlacc. There's there's a there's a stormtrooper there for some reason. Um, I I guess I don't care because I'm I'm sure uh, over the course of a thousand years, I'm sure a, a stormtrooper ended up there somehow. I mean, there's there's no evidence to say that there weren't stormtroopers on on the on the sail barge. I guess I I got nothing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, it, the idea that a stormtrooper would be somewhere out in the deserts of, of Tatooine makes at least to some degree some sense because, you know, the Empire has been there over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then why it would still be intact is, in my mind, it's plasteel, right? And so, I mean, it's right. even, you know, I don't remember if you could see the undersuit, the, the like the neoprene undersuit. My guess is you probably couldn't. But all right. the plasteel parts I could see being fairly intact. You know, right. all the stuff bits inside, I'm sure, are are pretty damaged. Right. Yeah. I'm sure he yeah. was one of the ones combing the desert. Oh, right. there you go. See, <laughs> see, we we we've solved it. We uh, uh, but you know, one of, one of the criticisms I saw is that like that sequence was like somehow underwhelming, and it's like. What do you want? And, yeah. and and I think that's something that I'm going to find myself saying over and over and over is like, you know, I, I don't I don't have a firm grasp on what people's expectations are. And by people, I mean either casuals or hardcore fans or lapsed fans. And that's part of the reason why I bring up the the direct line that this is a spin-off of Mandalorian. This isn't just like a Boba Fett show that, you know, uh, if I if I'm a lapsed fan, I'm thinking, oh, I'm gonna give this Boba Fett show a day in court. It it's it's not gonna resonate, but like I I don't know, I guess um 
what what do people expect? I, I guess because uh, I mean I think the sequence is kind of like emblematic of kind of that almost immediate disconnect from what people are expecting versus what they're getting and and disappointment. They expect everything and nothing at all. You know, they, mm-hmm. the the problem is is that, in my opinion, um, what you have are there are people who are going to want to see. Boba Fett blast out of the Sarlacc in a giant explosion of blood and gore and he's going to cut through and it's going to be this big moment in the whole deal and he's going to fly out and blah, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And then it, had that happened, there would be a whole other group that are like, that's crazy. He's been in there for a bunch of years. He never would have been able to muster that kind of energy the whole right. day. So, you know, in my assumption, being a creative person, is that at some point, you know, John Favreau and Dave Filoni just thought, fuck it, let's just do it the way we want to do it. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, and it makes so much more logical sense. He's only been there days at most. Right. I mean, how would you survive much longer than that with no food? Mm -hmm. So his jetpack doesn't work. I thought the way that they did it, I mean, you don't want to spend too much time there because it's just a way to get Boba Fett back into the story. Yeah. Right. It's just... Use the oxygen from the, the stormtrooper. That that's a great thing. And then he has a flamethrower. Yeah. You know, uh, I thought it was great. And you you know you have the acid as he has to heal from the acid. Mm-hmm. I thought it was perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it wasn't anything more than what we needed. Right, exactly. I I think that's the best way to put it. And I do appreciate a little bit of the comedy in that, like mm-hmm. you know he. Uh, wrestles himself out of the sand only to immediately get jumped by Jawas. <laughs> right. <laughs> like immediately. Right. And and because we know that's how that has to go. He has to lose the armor so that the Jawas get it so that Cobb Vanth gets it. It's like mm-hmm. any any video game. You 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 know, so yeah. many games you start out with everything and then immediately after that first level you get the title and you lose all, all your armor and weapon. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I will say though that one thing that I do kind of appreciate about a uh, book of Boba Fett is that it's not as item questy as uh, as Mandalorian is. Right. That I I'll be very interested to see how they approach this new season to where it's if like in that there's a lot of onus on that first episode because where it's like, Oh man, I need to go get this information, but I got to go see this guy first or, <laughs> Oh, I'll, I'll give you the key, but you got to do this thing for me first. Mm-hmm. I think, I think there might be a, a riots if, if that's the case, but it feels to me like an evolution of the, of the storytelling in that it's, it's grounded, you know, it's just, just this simple man trying to make his way in, in the universe and um, I don't well, know. They are, they are leaning into, you know, a few, like I was saying, they're, they're leaning into a few very tried and true Western tropes. The, the, the you know, uh, last man standing, uh, the, uh, the, a man named horse, you know, so they're, they're kind of threading this story out. And if I, if they continue threading that story you know then what's gonna wind up happening is is the kind of obvious you know conclusion which is he's going to take over the crime families and you know it's i in my in my 
if I had to make a prediction, it's going to wind up being a little bit of Michael Corleone towards the end, you know, yeah. where he, he winds up having to consolidate power by going a little bit harebrained and putting a few people to, to the, to the rancor as it were. Sure. And, um, so okay, so uh, uh, Black, you're you're a GI Joe guy. So um, I, I I guess I like that like some of the the first villains that he and Fennec have to contend against are just straight up night creepers. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> I really like that. They're just I mean like how how on the nose is that character design? <laughs> yeah, it, it might as well have had a, a stamp on the forehead. Generic bad guy. Yeah, but I mean, that's, Uh, you know, I, I, I can't hate on it. You know what I mean? Because you kind of want to see, you know, it, it, any good fiction is going to go from superficial level to a deeper level, to a deeper level, to a deeper level, you know, and, and the, the threats and, and obstacles that the, the hero or anti-hero is going to face are going to get not only less generic, but, mm-hmm. but eventually more intimate to that character, Sure, you know? Uh, and so the first, the first threats are essentially at arm's length, generic bad guy, you know, villain red shirts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that just happened to look like GI Joe ninjas look, from, from, from 1991. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that. I, I just love that. So, but uh, uh, speaking of design, um, Apollo, I wanted to start with you about, so we have, we, Boba Fett has had a couple different looks. You know, you have you have the Empire Strikes Back version. You have the Return of the Jedi version. If you're feeling generous, you have the Holiday Special version, and the Droids version, which is basically kind of the 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 same thing. But you don't see a lot of variation in Boba Fett's character model and costume design. But within the span of a of a year, we get like four different new versions of Boba Fett's. I mean, it's like my pre-orders are just just rotten <laughs> with all of these Boba Fett figures I've gotten where, you know, it's like, you know, you've got like the Tuscan robes, you've got like the acid-scarred armor on top of the robes, then you've got the re-armored, repainted version, then you have the the, the new uh, Book of Boba Fett um, um New, uh, whatever, whatever you want to call it, but but um, Apollo being a, a, a into character design yourself, uh, what uh, what do you what do you think about the the look of the book of Boba Fett? Um, you know, I like how his armor looks now. Um, you know, I think the armor is a symbol for sure because he made such. Um, Boba made such a big deal about getting his armor back, you know, because Fennec was just like, forget about it. You don't need your armor. And he's like, no, I need the armor. And like, even there's that whole dream sequence where he's sleeping and he's thinking he's, it's like zooming in on like him in the armor. So, um, you know, I think it's a really powerful symbol. Um, I like that the armor's clean now mm-hmm. um i did like his battle scarred look from empire strikes back and return of the jedi i mean obviously i wouldn't have liked that character or if it, he looks different but um yeah, yeah yeah i i think it's cool that he's had quite a few costume adjustments because you know he's figuring out this new version of himself you know yeah. and i think um it's showing that he's evolving and changing you know visually through his wardrobe 
Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on the uh, on the the new look of uh, of Boba Fett? No, I mean, um, I know there are people that complain that he doesn't wear his helmet enough, but um, you That's know, such a weird complaint. Yeah, so dumb. It's really dumb. It's like I like learning about the person behind the armor. I think this is really cool that well, we're. And you know, it was shown in in the Mandalorian that the group of Mandalorians who never take their helmet off is a small group. Yeah. You know, that it's, it's a kind of a, a zealotous yeah. sect yeah. of it, They're the weirdos. They're yeah, the weirdos. You know, yeah. and yeah. that the bulk of Mandalorian, and the fact is Boba Fett's not a Mandalorian. Right. So he has no animus or no reason to wear his well, helmet all the time. If you're just hanging out in your apartment, you don't wear your mask. And, you know? and if you look at, um, both his limited screen time in the original trilogy, he had his helmet on, but you only got a couple minutes worth of. Yeah, you don't know right. what he was doing, and then and it when was you a situation see where he would have been wearing his helmet. Yeah, yeah. right. He's and then you work. see Django in the prequels. Django right. didn't wear his helmet all the time either. Right. right. He wasn't even wearing his armor. He was just kicking yeah. it in his, his blue scrubs right. in his apartment. Yeah. You know. So. That's it where so the way you were, Mike, when you mentioned the yeah. way that Temuer Morrison delivers his lines, I love that scene and uh, on Camp Camino, yeah. where you know he's talking to uh, to Obi Wan and he notices that Obi Wan is noticing his armor and he uh, he turns and he goes, "Hey, Boba," you know the way he yeah, said, yeah. Boba Fett. "That's so cool, man." I was like, "Okay, yeah. so I guess that's how I got to pronounce Boba Fett now." Yeah, exactly. Which carries over. I mean, that that's yeah. I mean, that that's and, how well, and, he... and he still says it. You know, when he says yeah. his own name, he says, I'm Boba Fett. You yeah. know, he has a very specific uh, uh, role to it, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is which is a completely different inflection than than, you know, most of us are accustomed to. And I right. like Especially that. Especially like that texture. Ford's Boba Fett. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like what what it just. That is, I think, one of the most vivid examples of like headcanon and expectations gone wrong. Like, right. I I remember one one of my favorite uh, single issue comics from from you know the the Dark Horse era. Actually, it was in like the Star Wars Galaxy magazine, if I remember correctly. First, but it's the Twin Engines of Destruction, where it's you know there's this other dude Jodo Cast running around in. Jodo Cast, that's who I was. Yeah, trying. yeah, he's running around in Mandalorian armor. You know, kind of basically treading on pretending to be boba fett yes exactly and so there there's a scene where boba and dengar are kicking it and he's like well uh you know with all that scarring you know uh no wonder you ever oh he sees him without his helmet on that's it he's like in these like mummy rags and stuff and it's like oh man you're so scarred up no wonder you never show your face and he clicks his helmet on it turns around and says this is my face right now that's a cool line and something that I was like super into at that time. Sure. But post 2002, when we see Boba Fett as a young child, all of that goes out the window. You know, right. it's like, you know, it's, it's like, you gotta let that go. So the, the expectation that folks have that uh, Boba Fett is somehow supposed to be judge dread, I think is just right. dumb. Well, and- you know, the idea, you know, people say often, you know, the the concept that, you know, Boba Fett is losing his mystique. Well, the thing is, is mystique is just a stand in for character development. You, you <laughs> use mystique until you develop the character. 
Right. You know, uh, you, because you want... a well-developed character has its own mystique that is earned, right. whereas the mystique that you assign to an empty suit is really just based on the coolness of the design. You know, you want you want the audience to kind of fill in the blanks there until you have time to do it yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what it is. It's it's that forty years of baggage. That, that folks have created, or maybe it's young people that don't know any better. I, I, I can't even sort it out anymore. I'm so you know old and cynical, and I, I, I don't know the difference. So, like, for example, you know, I'm talking about, like, all these garbage articles I see on Screen Rant. I don't know who's writing these. It's like, you know, are, right. are, they, are they young people? Or are they old people? It's like I just – I don't entirely understand – where they're coming from and where the harsh criticism of the show comes from. Now, I would also say, though, that, you know, in that first episode, you kind of introduce the cadence of the show. You know, you, you have the concept of uh, the back to tank, the, the hot tub time machine, and that's kind of the device that you're using to flash back and flash forward. And I... I, I I don't know. It's it's I, I think it speaks to the impatience of yeah, con- contemporary viewers. I've read uh, and seen a couple of YouTube videos and read an article maybe uh, that have posited the idea that the flashback sequences don't work and that the story should have been told in a linear fashion. Now, that is certainly a choice, and I think the show would have been fine had they decided to tell it in a very linear fashion. Yeah. But I think one they were trying to differentiate this in tone from the mandalorian which is told in a linear fashion yes. and two the the use of the device of a flashback where the flashback mirrors the the events that are occurring in the modern timeline that's a very specific storytelling device and a storytelling choice that's made in order to illustrate character change right you don't do that because it's clever you do it because you want to show this character in parallel from what he was to what he is right Right. um and unfortunately it's a subtle way of making uh, of telling a story and i think in the era where you know clicks are king and and you know likes are king um it's it's easier to throw a stupid bomb than it is to to accept that these filmmakers are making a choice and that we have to go along for the ride and that we have to let the art wash over us and tell us a story at their pace not our pace mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. and and you know in order to make clicks they you know they put out an incendiary headline why boba fett doesn't work the flashbacks are sucky or whatever, you know, and, and, and unfortunately we feed that particular machine when we then go, okay, let's read what this idiot has to say. Yeah. Yeah. Or even like knucklehead podcasters that say this garbage article is garbage. It's like, right. so, yeah. So, I mean, so well, we, you we know, all... let's draw, let's, let's draw a distinction between, you know, calling garbage garbage and writing garbage for clickbait. You know what there I mean? Go, I think yeah. it's fair to, to, to you know call it what it is you know fair fair and so um so apollo i i guess in a sense how um how do you feel about the flashbacks good thing bad thing i like i like the flashbacks um i think it really sets up where he is now you know um i don't think we'd get a sense you know i think it'd be too jarring to go from 
you know, where, um, you know, we saw him in the Mandalorian to him being, you know, this, you know, taking over Jabba, um, the Hutt's territory. Like, we need the flashbacks to tell where he's come as a person. That's where you see his, that's where you see his character growth. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, from him being this, you know, badass bounty hunter, you know, who's kind of, fallen you know rock bottom you know in the sarlacc to um you know becoming this caring connecting you know being and you know making his own path his own identity that's separate from his um you know really from his past Mm -hmm. so well and and another thing is you know if if people think they have a hard time paying you know keeping their their attention focused on a story that is told, you know, non-linearly. Imagine if the first episode of Book of Boba Fett starts with him getting out of the Sarlacc, and we then have to watch six or seven episodes just to catch up to where we know he's going to be at the last time we saw him in uh, The Mandalorian. They'd be be losing their minds, you know what I mean? They'd be like, why is this so slow? We already know what happens. Why are we spending time on this? You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of like they made the only decision that made sense yeah i i i think so and you know it, it's it, it's a different conversation for a different time but i i wonder um if it's the difference in model between the disney week-to-week format and the more netflix binge thing like if if all eight episodes were available and folks could like crank it out over a weekend I wonder if folks would be as bothered by the the slow pace or the or slower pace or the or the flashbacks or the things that folks seem to be hung up on for like those first two three weeks after the show came out. Um, um, well, you know, The Witcher is a show on Netflix, and they came out with all the episodes, and that was a big complaint from people too because there were flat non-linear stories in that show in season one, there were like these flashbacks and people were really complaining about that too on the internet. So I think if it was fully bingeable, people would find something to complain about anyways. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not fully bingeable and people are finding things to complain about. The, yeah. I think the fact is, is people are going to complain, you know, uh, that, yeah, I, I, I think that's the common denominator. Um, so yeah, let's. Uh, so so that's that's the first episode. I mean, I guess one thing that did sort of bother me uh, once I kind of was picking up on what it was putting down um, in terms of using the back to tank as that device to get to the flashbacks. I didn't exactly care for. Um, his reliance on it. So it's like, you know, he, he walks to Mos Espa and gets jumped and at, immediately um, is like, oh, I got to go back to the back to tank. And I just, I, that didn't quite sit right with me at first, I, but. I, I, I like the concept that they're going for. I think right. that if they were going to use that, it should have been more, it should have been built more directly into the story. Uh, yeah. The idea being that they should have shown that he is physically very bad off. 
uh, and it should have been something that he can't stand very much, like uh, damage before he has to get back to the back back to tank and kind of yeah. build it into his his yeah. character as that's his weakness. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I mean, so maybe yeah. build that into one of the plot devices. You know, like mm-hmm. it's a. Right. You know, just for example, episode two, like, you know, while he's doing the thing, you know, he's got to stop chasing the guy because he has no choice. If he doesn't get back to the back to tank, he's going to die, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, make that, you know, now we've got a race against time to get to the back to tank while Fennec Shand continues the chase and, you know, build that into the plot so that then in episode four, I think it was chapter four, yeah. where they say, OK, congratulations, you're fully healed. Yeah, that would have been a better <laughs> right, Yeah. Yeah, they didn't have the setup for that payoff. Right. And they should have done that in episode one. Yeah. In retrospect, it all makes sense now. You know, it's like it's like now that we're talking about it, it's like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. But like at the time, yeah, it's like I almost need like like a watch to go off or something. It's like, oh, man, I've been out of the tank for for a couple hours. My time's up. I need to go back in. Right. Or, Or something like that just to establish it. Because for me, I was thinking it's like, wait a sec. This dude's been living in the desert for five years, and like without you know, the he, use of a back to tank. Yeah, and like now he gets like uh, jumped by a couple night creepers and gets a boo boo, and suddenly he's like, "Oh man, I got <laughs> got to go back to the hot tub time machine." Maybe, maybe he just likes those bubbles or something like that, you know? Just because right. uh, it's like, you you know, if you're out in the desert sun for like five years and that's your lifestyle. And those robes are awfully heavy. I mean, I would imagine a hot tub would be very nice. So it's just right. like, oh man, I just, man, I, I just gotta take a me day. You know, he's he's <laughs> got he's got to do that self care. Yeah, right. so, <laughs> a kelp he needs to exfoliate. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. And and I liked what they were doing with the makeup effects too, especially when yep. you're going back because like the thing that I was confused about looking at those trailers, I was like. He doesn't look like that in when he runs into the Mandalorian. It's like, mm-hmm. are are we just going to pretend that doesn't happen? And and again, we know now that that's a component of the storyline. But I I do like, and we mentioned this already. But like, I I liked where uh, the droid says, "It's like we got Mike Seibert's emails. We saw the yeah, tweets. Right. You are fully healed. The flashbacks are over. Please right. stop adding us. <laughs> Please stop doing reactions." Congrats. Congratulations, Tamir. You're not going to have to sit through three hours of makeup every uh, every day now. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. Which I, I think that's um, and, and part of the reason why I thought that now was a good uh, kind of split point to talk about where the show has been and maybe uh, speculate a bit on where it's going because like, I felt that, that that fourth episode is a mission statement of that's this half of the season and now this half of the season is going to be um unfettered by the tropes that we've seen so far and the thing i'm trying to figure out is whether that's a good thing or not mike do you know that uh, how many episodes the show is supposed to run eight. Oh, is so it eight? So there's three. Oh, uh yeah, let, wikipedia let me, has seven let me check the uh the wookie then so okay so there's two left then Three. So three left. Five, if six, it's four, seven. five, six, seven. Okay, It'd very five, good. Five, seven. Wow, as, as we established, I am not a mathematician. But <laughs> and, and again, that's and that's why I like about it. I like that it's a short miniseries. If this if well, this was how like many, 
so I'm trying to see what the pattern is for Disney Plus. Uh, mm. How many was Hawkeye? Was it seven? Hawkeye was six. Six. Okay, so so they're running. And Mando the was eight for was, both seasons. Uh, I think the longest was what probably uh, Scarlet Witch, uh, uh, Wandavision, and that was what nine. Yeah. Yeah, Wandavision was nine. Okay. So I mean, I think they're they're figuring out the best length for the story that they have, which I think is a smart way to do it. Right. Netflix mm-hmm. made the mistake of every season of every series, yeah. no matter how good it was, always seemed like they had two extraneous episodes. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they could have cut two out of it and it would have been a perfect length, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, that that was the way prestige television was uh, sold. You know, it's it it's billed as, you know, all killer, no filler. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you watch like network TV show with 24 plus episodes. Half of them are filler. No, not here on the Netflix. We're we're going to like give you like, you know, kind of uh, UK TV style, like, you know, 10 episode seasons. And yeah, even at that, they still plenty of filler. I mean, like I, I like Daredevil fine, but man, it, it gets bloated in spots. All, all of yeah. those Marvel Netflix series do. Right. It's like, you can, it, have- it was all, it always seemed like there was two episodes too many. Yeah. yeah. And, and here you also had the varying episode links. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Although I have been happy the last couple have been like close to, you know, 50 minutes to an hour. Hmm. It threw me off with that first episode being 39 minutes. And it's like, mm. so it's like, on on one hand, it's slow, but it's also short. So it's right. like, I after watching that first episode, because um, I'm, I'm not a smart fellow, I'm just like, I, I'm... I'm confused. It's like I, I just I didn't quite know exactly what to think. I knew I liked it. I knew I didn't dislike it, but I was just like, I I don't know if I know what this is quite yet. You know, just kind of like trying to trying to get my uh, um, kind of kind of my feet under me. But you know, as as the series has gone, I mean, like I. I really enjoyed the the second episode. It's like I um I guess I would need to watch them both again to decide which one I like more because I really like in that second episode where we go into the flashback and we just stay there for the entire episode. Yeah. I thought I thought mm-hmm. that was really cool and ambitious that it's like well, yeah, we're going to lean into this uh, flashback trope so hard that that's going to be the primary narrative of this episode. I, th- I thought that was really cool. Um, so from there, oh, man, there's there's any number of topics we can uh, uh, tackle from there. I mean, you know, we, we talked about uh, the third episode a bit. I think that kind of like the the American graffiti uh, slash quadrophenia homage doesn't necessarily work. I, I think the the speed of the chase and a lot of the things that that um uh was already said kind of um um really kind of uh put the nail in that uh for sure i was i was thinking after watching that episode that uh robert rodriguez probably needs to go to uh, uh movie jail for a few um right. just uh you know just but just you know set you on the shelf what do you think about the mod characters themselves though cuz i mean personally i thought they were they were fine I yeah, I don't too. have any problem with the characters themselves. I mean, they are a little bit unintimidating, but that's fine. I'm, you yeah, know, that yeah. that doesn't bother me. Not every character has to be a a walking badass, you know. Right. Uh, 
you know, it, it was really just the hard reliance on that mod imagery, the, the bikes, yeah. you know, yeah. that, 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 that I took exception with. And even some of the lame humor too, where it's like, oh, uh, uh, keep an eye on them. And it's like the dude with the, the cyborg eye and, and right. that, you know, some, mm. some really cringy comedy. I think, uh, um, I had tweeted something about like, oh man, this is this is the lamest episode of Spy Kids I've ever seen, or right. something, because because it seems like he's really kind of leaning into that, like you know, this is this is one for the kids who are now grown adults, <laughs> right? But, well, um, I, you know, I learned early on to that you know you just have to take your your dose of star wars with a shot of cringe you know i mean there's <laughs> it's built in i mean from the very first you know i mean you know luke skywalker was a, a whiny little runt you know uh the the tashi station line being the 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 gold standard of of cringy line which we got to really. see in episode two Yes, right. you actually go to Tashi Station, and it is and a train like, station. Who knew? Right, this whole time, um, and so yeah. So I mean, there, there's all these little Easter eggs that 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 are in there that that are really cool. That I I also felt that um, they don't bash you about the face and head. It's like you know you can have fan service. You can have Easter eggs, but as long as it's not like, as long as your ribs aren't aching from being elbowed so hard, it's like, right. hey, hey, look, look, it's 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 Tashi Station, and look, look, that's 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 the gal from those deleted scenes, and you know, right. it's like it's it's cool, but yeah, it's I like that it doesn't stop dead to be like, eh, eh, yeah. <laughs> right, so. You're gonna. You're always gonna get a little bit of that. Um, yeah, like, Star Wars. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed that you know it, and it comes back to the whole. In the Star Wars universe, there's so many things that are tied together that stand very little chance of actually being tied together. Like uh, when Jennifer Beale's Twilight character goes, "Okay, hit it, Max." It's like, of course it's Max Rebo. Yeah. Of course it is, because that's the only gig he's got is that one town. You know, <laughs> and somehow uh, he survived the steel. Right. Yeah. He, I, he he crawled out of the Sarlacc before Boba did. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm beginning to wonder if anybody actually died on the sail barge because you know <laughs> Java. For, yeah, just Java. Just yeah. Java. I know. <laughs> actually, I I would almost like to see that like in like a, a comic or a cartoon or something like that where it's like so you know uh, Jabba Dunn gets hut slayed and then like everybody just pours out the back so that like by the time uh you know boba fett falls in the pit and like you know uh luke and leia you know kind of kind of fly off everybody's just leaving in fact i think right. that was a, a variation of that was like in like the uh, tales of the bounty hunters uh novel if i remember correctly that that kevin j anderson thing but um mm -hmm. but anyway yeah because i i think in fact even in that novel if i'm not mistaken i think max rebo is one of the folks that gets out so um, that wouldn't I, surprise me. I i haven't read that book since i was in high school so yeah, it's, only it's, one of those that i remember is the ig88 story because i was really focused on it and mm -hmm. i love that the idea that he was one of three and yeah. then he filled his brothers and folded them into himself. You know, I just thought that was that was and, suitably yeah. weird. You yeah, know? It like yeah. merges with the Death Star computer, and it's yeah. just yeah. Th mm -hmm. There's there's some wild stuff in in both of those books, Tales of the Bounty Hunters and uh, Tales from Jabba's Palace. Yeah. 
Another fan servicey thing, um, also from the, um, like, I can't remember what it's called, but the casino area. Um, mm-hmm. The the um, card dealer is the um, Rex from originally yes. Star Tours. Oh, and now, right. Yeah, the pilot. Yep. And now he's the DJ in Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Voiced by Pee Wee Herman. Oh, that's oh, really? awesome. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like, he, he doesn't have any lines here, but in the, the ride, he was voiced by Pee Wee Herman. Oh, nice. That, that's so cool. I mean, like, I, I, I love what they did with the new version of Star Tours, but I, 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 watching it or riding the ride, I'm like, ah, but I miss Rex. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. it's just. Um, in fact, uh, I went to Disneyland a number, a number of years ago when, in fact, it was like during like the Power of the Jedi era of action figures, and they had the droids from the ride. So, so I have a uh, um, uh, Rex and what, whatever one of the other like smaller robots that was basically like from. Actually, this is really kind of morbid, but it's like from like one of the animatronics from like the Enchanted Tiki Room. Oh, that's with, right. With, yeah, yeah. That they just pulled oh, the skin yeah. off, and, and they just pulled. Uh, the skin yeah. off of him it's like it's 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 bone chilling but it's also uh kind of cool so it's kind of yeah. like i i like kind of like that obscure disney stuff um i i have not done the galaxy's edge yet i Me uh, neither. i uh, i want to do it so bad yeah may, maybe one of these days when it's uh when there isn't a plague <laughs> yeah that's the thing yeah. i'd go if there weren't a you know a black death Agree. over me, you know. Right, right. Yeah, going to a crowded place does not seem to be a good idea right now. Uh, so I grew up in Southern California, and I've still got friends there. In fact, I've got a buddy that goes to Disneyland because we grew up in Anaheim. I, I grew up in Disneyland's back door. Nice. Uh, I, uh, he goes to Disneyland like a couple of times a week. He's got the year oh pass or whatever. And so far, he has managed to not get COVID. So, uh, you know, maybe they've figured something out. Wow. That's I, mean, awesome. I think I think if you're outside you have a better yeah. chance of not getting it. I think it would be like being inside would be the problem. But like there's that really cool cantina in um in Galaxy's Edge, you know, and I'd want to go and hang out in there, you know. Right. Like I wouldn't want to just like do a quick walk through. So Right. Yeah, you you would want to spend all of your Disney time there, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh man, we still got to ride the haunted mansion. I'm like, screw that, Star Wars land. <laughs> Star Wars, it's all Star yeah. Wars. I'm all, all Star in. Wars all the time. Crazy. Um, so uh, a couple things that that we haven't really talked about, like you know, we we've kind of talked about like some of the um, new characters that have have uh, uh, popped into this uh, into the show. Like you know, you see some uh, some new Gamorrean guards that I I was kind of like I, I I don't know if this makes me weirdly prudish or whatever, but like seeing like the these dudes just walking around all just painted green and stuff. I was like, put put a leather smock on those dudes. Those are yeah. those are some like <laughs> it is a little off putting to see that they've switched from ha- being essentially a whole body prosthesis to just a, a a heavy guy in a mask. You know, it's like a little off putting. It's like uh, you know, cover the man boobs up. You know, <laughs> yeah, and and I and I I just couldn't tell if I liked it or not. It's like, does this look cheap or or is this like cool? It does look it's- cheap. I I noticed it in the Mandalorian, the episode where they go in and they've got the they're doing the arena fighting, and it's you know there's a couple right. of Gamorrean guards. I remember thinking, ah, eh, that doesn't look great. You know, they they could they could do a better job of that. I never mm-hmm. even realized. Even yeah, yeah. Oh, really? yeah. 
It reminds me though very much like Star Trek, actually, you yeah. know, the aliens yeah. from Star Trek were yeah. you know. Yeah, it's Absolutely. the cross between Orion slave girls and pigs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um so yeah, so you know, you you uh you meet Jennifer Beals. Uh, Jennifer Beals of all people. That blew, at first, I didn't even recognize it. My wife was like, is that the chick from Flashdance? And I, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. It is, in fact. We, we were doing the same thing at home, but it was like one of those things where we're both snapping our fingers because, like, I mean, like, she's, you know, through even having all the, the Twilight prosthesis on, it's like, you know, she has very recognizable uh, eyes and facial features, but we're just sitting there snapping our fingers. It's just like, where, who is that? Who is that? <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it's, it, it's one of those things where it's just like, I, I would imagine that this character is going to have some role to play in the remaining episode because it seems like you don't bring you don't somebody much. in. Yeah, it, exactly. It's just like, just, just to kind of, you know, stand there. I mean, it's, it, it's also interesting. Props to her as an actor that, you know, doing a role where you are wearing so much, you know, you would think someone like her, you'd want to be more kind of, you know, I'm Jennifer Beale in Star Wars. But, mm-hmm. right. right, right. Yeah, but. You know, it, if I was got an opportunity to be in Star Wars, I'm like, put me in a stormtrooper costume, whatever. I don't care. I just I want to know I'm there. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so yeah, I mean, you know, we uh, we can't not talk about the uh, the Tuscan tribe, um, R.I.P. Which um, I I like that in a very little screen time or relatively little screen time, they they really endear those characters to you so that when they i i don't i don't know if it's a specific fridging situation but it kind of felt that way i'm like oh don't fridge the tuscans come on (laughs) it just because like for as as very empowering as their story felt in in that second episode it felt almost as cheap going the other direction when um when they meet their end just for Boba Fett to be, you know, uh, uh, to be motivated to continue on his mission. What, what do you guys? I've been, I've kind of been torn by the whole, you know, I think there is a certain amount of validity to the criticism of, of, uh, you know, the, the woman in the refrigerator, you know, uh, which, the the term comes from you know killing joke where you know uh what, what was green lantern oh was what? it green lantern so kyle rayner green lantern girlfriend oh okay. yeah because I, she I literally that. gets so that Bad was the first stuff that, in there yeah, yeah but anyhow so the idea I, I i see it as a valid criticism however i also see it that it's a criticism that can be very easily overutilized because a, a fact of life, and this is true in actual life, is that terrible things motivate people to do things, right? Like, uh, you know, I have an uncle that died in a, in a tragic way, and that changed my trajectory in life. Did that, does that mean my uncle got fridged? You know, is there a valid credit? Of course not. You know, so, you know, to to level that every time a character dies and then another character is motivated by that death or is harmed and then another character is motivated, I don't see it as valid every time. Now, if it's done in a lazy way or in a cynical way, then certainly it's a valid criticism. Uh, mm-hmm. But 
but it, it you know the fact is is we need these plot devices because they happen in life and we tell stories to process life you know it's it's just the way we're built as animals mm-hmm. you know so i think i think the the criticism can be very easily overutilized it's not the book of the tuscans mm-hmm. <laughs> right right that's fair you know, that's fair which i would love to watch a series the book of the tuscans well, yeah and- you know and and you know the fact is you know they were humanized you know for for want of a better word um, and they were individualized. I think it was no accident that they were given robes and a design that was very different from any Tuscans we'd seen on screen up to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were individualized, you know, so they weren't just a tribe of carbon copy characters like we saw in Attack of the Clones where they were mm-hmm. literally just fodder to be cut down. You know, mm-hmm. those Tuscans were fridged. You know, these Tuscans were slaughtered by some bad guys, and now Boba Fett's got to go kick some ass. Yeah. You know, I think there's a a pretty distinct line to be drawn between the two, you know, uh, uh, plot mechanics. Mm -hmm. Well, and there also wasn't like, it wasn't like his love interest that was killed off either. Like if he was... Well, I guess maybe you could argue that him and the Tuscan lady were getting close, but, um, you know, if it had just been respect though. Yeah. Yeah, Like I didn't think it was any romantic thing, but like, you know, if it had been like his love interest being killed off, then yeah, that's definitely like fridging. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, this is a whole group of people that got slaughtered, you know, because, by the pikes so mm-hmm. um which you know. you know that that has again we're leaning into tropes from western utility and the fact is is those tropes are based on american history and mm-hmm. the fact is is that a, 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 a corporate organization slaughtering a bunch of natives is not unknown to that to our history and yeah. then the the fiction that arises from our history and then the tropes that inform the show that we're watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the train shooting scene when that gang was shooting at Tuscans from the train, that that was really eerie because that actually happened in history, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. here in America. A Navajo Indian, man, and he, he can tell me stories that he knows just because his granddad told him and then his mm-hmm. granddad told him that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and one of the things that, that I appreciate that, that you know, we, we've gotten so deep into this conversation that we haven't really touched on or talked about is the type of representation through this fiction. So, you know, obviously, Tamora Morrison, he's from New Zealand, he's his uh, uh, Maori Maori, heritage. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he even said, like, you know, when they, uh, when he was on Mandalorian he was talking about like oh i want to bring this texture to the character and they've done that even more so in book of boba fett like the the way that he carries himself and i i like that the stuff with the tuscans isn't explicitly one thing it's right. like you know it's it it's part native peoples but it's also like islanders and it's like it's and it's you can use science fiction to do a handful of different things but still is 
representative. Like I, I saw a lot of uh, uh, native folks tweeting about the the representation of of the Tuscans and, and feeling very seen, and and that's and that's a very real thing um, now where representation matters. And and I I still love that. I mean, I've talked about this with with regards to to Mandalorian. It's like, you know, there's um there there there's very few white people and there's even fewer white men and you know i and i i i don't know if that, if that's intentional or or specific but like you know you have this um you know lead that's a person of color and his number 2 is a a person of color and 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 it's not even a thing it's like you know um uh jeremy and apollo when we talked about uh mandalorian and like the fact that like you know the only white man in that episode is luke skywalker <laughs> you know that, right. that and just how cool it was but also how casual and how not a thing it is and and i i could i could stand to see more of that yeah yeah, well, and I think, too, it's like we have these amazing characters, you know, so it's it's just really cool seeing the diversity in mm-hmm. Star Wars now. And it is, as you said, it's not a thing. It's like, you know, it's it's cool, you know, like they're not just there for representation purposes. Like I know they are probably, you know, there's probably a little bit of that, the casting, but you know, you don't even think about it because you got such amazing actors, you know, and actresses to do these roles. So um, I think it's really cool. I found that for me, it comes down to a question of, is it being done in a cynical way? Yeah. Um, You know, without, naming particular shows or anything there are a a couple of shows where there are no white guys now i'm a white guy right and so it you know i can i'm acutely aware when there's a reality being shown on screen it's like wow there's no white people here you know what i mean i don't necessarily think it's a bad thing but i would be lying if i said i didn't notice it right now with the mandalorian i didn't notice it because mm-hmm. it wasn't done in a cynical way. It wasn't done right. because some producer thought, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure we don't hire any white people. Right, uh, right. We, you know, we need to make sure that is the lead brown, check. Uh, second lead female, check. You know, you didn't feel that, right? In other shows, literally, my wife was watching a show last uh, a couple of nights ago. I came in and I sat down and they showed a white character and I said, that character's either gay or a villain. And turns out he was one of those two. You yeah. know what I mean? And then the next white guy that they showed, he was the villain. You know what I mean? And so that in that situation, it very much felt like a cynical ploy by the producers to make sure that they were checking boxes. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so it it's really one of those things where it can be done right or it can be done wrong. You know, and I think the Mandalorian and and John Favreau and Dave Filoni have managed to do it in the right way, you know, in a way that doesn't feel contrived or yeah. doesn't feel cynically motivated or, you know, uh, uh, done in such a way as to exclude, but rather right. done in a way to include. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's character first. Yeah. 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 It's character first. There was, you know, certainly they picked the right man for the job when they, when they hired Pedro Pascal. Right. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, if it, I can't think of any other actor working that I that would have done as good a job 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, regardless of skin color or, you know, what have you. Right. Yeah. And if you look at Fennec Shand, I mean, you know, you have this bounty hunter and you have this amazing actress in Ming-Na Wen. And just from her performance in that one episode, they decide to bring her back and then make her yeah. the number two in this show. And you know, uh, this is where I've got to depart because I don't think she's a very good actress at all. Uh, uh, I well, think she was really no. good on ER. I, I really enjoyed her on ER, I, but I don't think she plays a very good heavy. I think she's very yeah. stiff and her line delivery is very kind of uh, on the nose. Um, well, I mean, I guess that I'm coming from actually being a fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Me too. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I was yeah. like, hey, that's uh, that's old girl from uh, ER. And within mm-hmm. a couple of episodes, I'm like, did she forget how to act? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but I think it's really just her decisions when she's playing the heavy are decisions that I don't find terribly authentic. You know, now as an actress, I really like Ming-Na Wen. I think, like I said, I she's... She was my favorite character on on ER. That's probably showing my age a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I'll I have to de- agree to disagree with you because I really sure. think she's fabulous in the book everybody of Boba Fett. Everybody seems to. I'm I I know I'm the outlier on that yeah. because everybody yeah. seems to really like her. I just find mm-hmm. here's the thing. So I'm a veteran. Uh, I I you know I'm a former infantryman. I was a paratrooper. I know and have known people who are genuinely badasses and mm-hmm. none of them act like that. You okay. know what I mean? None of them have that super stoic, you know, it, it's almost like the badder you are, the less you act like that. And so someone mm-hmm. who acts like okay. that, it feels very scripted. It feels very contrived. Now, again, I realize I'm the odd man out on this particular opinion, you know, <laughs> uh, and I don't think that it has anything to do with Ming-Na Wen as an actress rather mm-hmm. than uh, the choice that is being made to portray that particular character. Mm-hmm. Now, I should say she's much better in this. I think the way she characterizes Fennec Shand is head and shoulders better than the way that she char- than she characterized her character in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and I think she's she's much more interesting to me in Book of Boba Fett than she was yeah. in Mandalorian. Right. Uh, so sure. yeah. maybe it's, uh, you know, I don't know what to ascribe that to. But yeah. And, and it was interesting because like when she shows up, uh, much like with Jennifer Beals, it's just like you don't bring in Ming-Na for nothing. Right. You know, so I had a I had a feeling that they were going to revisit that that character in uh, some way. Um, but as I as I'm taking a look at the time, we are coming up close to um, Apollo's time to go. So um, uh, before uh, before we part ways uh, for now, um, Apollo, what, uh, it, I guess first, any um, uh, closing thoughts, anything that, that you wanted to make sure that you had said before leaving the the conversation, man. Oh, man, I really wish I would have said that. Well, all I can say is I'm just glad we're getting Boba Fett content. And, you know, I think it's just really cool that we're seeing a show. We might not, you know, there's a lot of different opinions on what people think of it. I'm liking it overall so far, um, and I can't wait to see how it ends. Terrific. And if folks wanted to uh, find you on the Internet and listen to you on podcasts and uh, uh, interact with you on social medias and and get those uh, um, awesome commissioned uh, art from you, how would uh, how would folks connect with Apollo? 
So um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at RoboApollo. Um, I have commissions open. I have information on my pinned tweet on um, about those. I also guest host on Transmissions, which is Jeremy's podcast. So um, yeah, <laughs> so um, twice a month now. So um, you can check them out. Um, I always forget the social media handle for well, transmissions. It's T R N S M I S. Yeah, just transmissionspodcast.com. Yeah, got so it, Transmissions Podcast, and they have a Discord server, and it's super cool. It's really active. It's um, very Transformers-focused, but there's also, like, a toys section. So, um, yeah, and that's it. Thanks for having me on tonight. This is a lot of fun, and it was nice to meet you, Blackie. Nice to see you nice again, Jeremy yeah. and Mike. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It is always a blast, and it's always appreciated. And uh, let's do it again soon, all right? Sounds good. Take care. Uh, Stay safe, everyone. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. All right. And then there were three. Oh man, let's let's get out like the the cigars and start uh you know talking talking crass and whatnot. No, no, that's that's, right. that's dumb. We're not doing any of that. Um, but uh, so yeah, so um, uh, we've gotten this far, and um, Jeremy, I know you were into the the most recent Marvel Star Wars comics. Uh, Blackie, are you a fan of the current run of Marvel Star Wars books? I was buying several of them, but the the lamentation of a comic book artist is I spend all my time drawing them and <laughs> don't have enough time to read them. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, to be honest, beyond the first about six or eight months worth of comics, I haven't read much. I really gotcha. like what I read. Sure. Well, I bring that up because like one of one of the things that is pretty cool and pretty interesting and and occasionally cynical also is the um in the Disney era what uh what Disney tries to do what what Lucasfilm does with their characters. I'm trying to talk about like characters that come from the comics, the recent comics into um uh into current shows and movies and i um did anybody know that uh that black k was going to show up uh because i sure as heck didn't didn't know he was going to show up when i saw him i was unaware that he had been in the comics or that he was he had been introduced in the comics and as soon as i saw him i had two thoughts my first thought was gonna need that action figure (laughs) Uh, and then my second thought was i really hope he's not a one and done character i you know Yeah, when when I saw him at first, I was like, "Wait, that looks familiar!" Oh my god, they did it, and it was like a perfect costume, like comic accurate to the T. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, you want to see like the antithesis of Chewbacca? There you go. Yeah, I mean, it's just it is so. Um, it was almost distracting how accurate it is from like the costume details to like his eyes to the 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 mm-hmm. scarring. It's like. I so I don't know if when that character debuted in the comics, like they was, they were, I mean, and that was early on. That would that was, was in like, the, the first Darth Vader. Series. Yeah, yeah. I, was just the, say, I think it was fairly early on because yeah. now that I once I realized that he was from the comics, I have the first I don't know four or five uh, issues of Darth Vader, uh, yeah. and if he was in the first one, then I, I mean, had to have. He read was him. introduced when they introduced Doctor Afra. Right. Yeah, and, and I've the, read the I've read 
the first handful of Dr. Afra uh, books so, as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those things that I read it and it immediately yeah. <laughs> jettisoned from my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I had very much the same reaction but, you did, Jeremy, where I was just like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and this is one of those things like you were talking about with um, fan service done right. I mean, coming in it with no exposure to the comics, you're just like, that is an amazing looking Wookiee. And I don't want to be on his bad side. I mean, it's just, yeah. You know, you, you know that from seeing him, you can tell he is had some experience with Boba Boba Fett before and stuff. And that's just, you know, if you want to dig deeper, you can dig deeper and see his backstory. But otherwise what you get on the screen is good enough for just knowing this is a badass character. Wookiees are very high on my list of favorite alien species in any, you know, science fiction of all time. Um, And one of the things that I like most about them is that they're not overused. You know, you don't see a Wookiee in every piece of Star Wars right. fiction. You don't see a Wookiee, you know. Um, in fact, in in Attack of the Clones, you know, when they go to Kashyyyk, you know, uh, yeah. I think it was it Attack of the Clones or Revenge, uh, it of, was the Revenge of the Sith. Sith. Revenge of the Sith. You know, even then, you know, you were on Kashyyyk, you're surrounded by Wookiees, but not many of them played much of a role, you know, right. in, in the events. You know, they were really just kind of online fodder. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and so the fact that there haven't been many notable Wookiees um, and then they bring in this one and he's very obviously as soon as I saw him, I thought, OK, you know, they're going to have to use this character more because one, they spent the money to make that suit. You know, yeah, you, don't, yeah. you don't make that suit and then not use it more than once. And, and that's not a, you know, uh, a, what is the um, Halloween spirit to box right. costume or whatever. Right. No. <laughs> oh my gosh but yeah i mean it and in that scene where he shows up i i you know i in in my personal vernacular vocabulary when like a a character shows up and just stands there and look cool i usually refer to them as the boba fett of whatever you know and and i thought it was an interesting turn where basically Black K becomes the Boba Fett of Book of Boba Fett because he he just stands there and right. looks really cool and really menacing. He's the cool dude with very little screen time that everybody wants to see more of. Yes, yeah. yes, and yeah. unfortunately we do. We we get yeah. we get more of it. That that dude does and not. My like assumption it. is that they're gonna you know if he if Boba Fett needs muscle you know what better muscle than this giant Wookie? Right. right. I mean you know. and. You know, I've heard some other people speculate, does he now have a life debt to Boba Fett? Oh, because, yeah. you know, when the Huts left, they were like, you know, yeah. he's yours, you know, send him to, back to the pits or whatever, and Boba Fett just frees him and just, you know, lets him go. Yeah, yeah. that's an interesting question as well. Yeah. And... Now, is life debt something that they have carried on from, because I don't remember life debt being specifically canon uh, outside of, uh, you know, like I remember people talking about it, but I, I it, they mentioned it in Solo, included. I believe. Oh, do they talk about it in Solo? I, I think so. Oh. I don't remember it, but then I've only seen Solo a couple of times. I like yeah. it. But, uh, I've only I've seen only it a couple of times, times too, but I'm pretty yeah. sure if they did mention it, it was there. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I've always so- liked the concept, you know, uh, right, right. and so, you know. 
Uh, so yeah, so you know, we we kind of uh, uh, talked about the the concept of extra muscle, and you know, I I liked I liked where this episode leaves off at. Um, you you get you get a little bit of a taste early on where the flashbacks start to reconcile, and you catch up with the timeline for the Mandalorian, and you get from Boba's perspective on the other side of the Dune Sea just a little bit of that hint of the whistle of uh, of Mando's uh, yeah. theme there. Yeah, it's, and, it's pretty obvious they're going to bring Mandalorian into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but at, at the at the very end of it, you know, being uh with being a younger person and being into uh, uh, WWE wrestling for for a hot <laughs> minute, I was like, oh my god, that's Mando's music. That's Mando's yeah. music. My god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're playing him on. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, re- I really like that. And it was funny. I was talking to a buddy of mine at work, and he's like, yeah, you know, I was listening to the music, and I thought that the, uh, the, thought that the music was a little different, and he didn't piece it together right away. And he's like, oh, wait a sec. That, <laughs> that's the Mando theme. <laughs> nice. So, but, I mean, I, I think that's uh, very obviously what's being set up here, and it yeah. does kind of – follow the same pattern that that the Mandalorian episodes do to where you have like that seasoned finale get the entire band together right um, which which will be cool I mean, and Mando's uh, got time on his hands now yeah right. he's not doing anything <laughs> yeah. so in, and in a sense and and Jeremy we talked about this uh, uh Yumi and Apollo kind of trying to figure out where Mando season three could go and I think that folks will be watching these last couple episodes with even greater interest because I'm sure this will be kind of like, as Book of Boba Fett is a spinoff of Mandalorian, it seems like season three is going to be spun out of the events of Book of Boba Fett, which I think is cool. That means, you know, everything counts. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's great how they're, they're, they're weaving things in, but it's not as kind of, in your face as Mando season two was with, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love the Ahsoka episode, but it's very clear, you know, we all knew she's getting her series. Mm-hmm. Right. They were, but, you could, it was, you could see the setup coming over the hill. Yeah. I mean, and, and you needed her for the exposition with Grogu and all, all that stuff. So right, that was very clear, but this, this seems like it's being done a lot more subtle. It's like, we know the, present day takes place after the mando finale right um so we know he's got time on his hands and you know we want to we we desperately want to see more mando anyway so yeah it just makes sense to get him on the screen yeah it's easy catnip you know it's like i can uh i i could stand with that um I, I mentioned this earlier, and I don't want to necessarily dwell on this aspect of it, but I, I do want to talk about uh, uh, Boba Fett's Fire Spray Starship. Um, you know, I, I, actual mileage may vary on the name change. I think the folks that are hung up about the name change um, might need to take a step back and and consider why they're so hung it, up on... It seems a little bit silly to get hung up on it, you know? In yeah. my mind... Now, don't get me wrong. I think the name Slave One is pretty bitchin' for the name of a starship that belongs to an intergalactic bounty hunter. Sure. He's not an intergalactic bounty hunter anymore. 
Smack I thought it was kind of a missed opportunity in the episode where they go and they, they get the ship back. Here's what I was hoping would happen or what I thought was going to happen was Fennec Shand was going to say, okay, you get to the slave one, you know, and he would have said, you know, something to the effect of it's not the slave one anymore. You know, uh, and and kind of say it explicitly that because he had gone through a change as a character, yeah. he was now rechristening the ship. Maybe even to something like "I'll come up with a name later" or you know right. uh, something like that. You know, um, but I like the idea of renaming it because Slave One now no longer fits Boba Fett. Right. right. I mean, I I feel I I'm kind of on board with that, but I mean. For that one particular scene, I'm like, does Finnick even know the name Slave One? That's true. And then exactly. there's like, she, she knows that the model of ship. If Boba Fett is as, you know, notable oh, and as yeah. legendary in the galaxy, people would know the name of his ship right. as well. Yeah. But also, um, Django is the one that named the ship. Right. That's so true. as Boba is finding himself, it does make sense that he wants to kind of rechristen it mm-hmm. to fit. Yeah, he like repainted you said. it. Yeah. So yeah. Right. Make it right, fit. You know who he is now so yeah right. and i think Sp- fire spray even though that's the model designation i think fire spray is a cool name so you yeah. know i'll take it mando's yeah. ship was also the name of that type of ship right you know right. but i think yeah. you know yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. it would be cool if they if he they rechristen it to something that's you know not because in in the world of the fiction fire spray would be a pretty generic name that'd be like right. yeah i named my dotson dotson you know right um, yeah but and so it would be cool for them for him to rechristen it something, especially something that's maybe more indicative of where he is as a character now. Yeah, yeah. There is a part of me that wonders if that is something that they do have planned because keep in mind, like you know, through first season of Mandalorian and the merchandising that they had going with it, all of the Baby Yoda toys were just called the Child. Right. And right. so you know, eventually, when he gets the Grogu name or his, his name is revealed, that you know, then that next wave of toys is is you know uh, named Grogu. I, you still go to stores and you see stuff where it's still just called the Child. But yeah, but that tends to be old merchandise. Right. Uh, you know, but to go back to the idea of renaming it, you know, I had this discussion not specifically about the slave one, but uh, mm-hmm. about this kind of movement in the culture in general you know Mm -hmm. to be more cognizant of the words that we use and the way that we refer to things and that kind of thing and the argument that i made and that i make now with respect to the slave one is if using the term slave hurts even one person if it makes even one person feel less than what does it hurt us to change it what what possible damage does it do what possible price does it incur for us to go you know what let's change it to something that doesn't hurt that one person yeah you know it's it's easy and it's the right thing to do and and does it change the name of the toy you bought 30 years ago right no i mean you know people that that would hold their their childhood nostalgia up as so precious as to not care about the impact that that nostalgia might have on somebody who is genuinely impacted by it. Uh, That to me is a person that I don't need to be hanging out with. Right. I mean, I work in, in technology and there's also been a movement to remove the whole master slave connotation. um, And even blacklist whitelist, you know, replace them with, with, 
I guess more um, more neutral more terms. Yeah, more neutral and appropriate terms. So, like I've been seeing this, you know, on that side for years, and you know, I agree with you. It if if the name takes the enjoyment of Star Wars out, you know, from for even one person, then let's change it. Let's you know, right. You yeah. know, it's it's easy to have the knee jerk reaction and and go, yeah. what? That's stupid. Who cares about the name of that? And it's like, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It might be stupid to you, right. but there are other people than you on the planet. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, I learned that that, that that the desire to rename things to a more neutral term is also true. I just recently bought a house a, a year, two years ago or whatever, and uh, I found that there's a push in the real estate industry to rename or rebrand uh, instead of calling it the master bedroom, yeah. which is very much a, yeah, a yeah. slave era term. I mean, it's it's from, you know, the worst possible source uh, to, you know, calling it the main bedroom or the, the large bedroom or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. which to me, it's like, OK, you know, if it, again, if it hurts even one person, yeah. why would we not change it? Right. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, all of us are uh, Transformers fans. It's like, you know. You, you see a lot of um, American G1ers still um, still getting pissed off about the name change for uh, the Triceratops Dinobot. You know, it's like I even well, just like okay, maybe you can explain that I to me. That. I don't understand. Is slag, is that it, an epithet? In the UK, it's a term for a prostitute. I didn't know that. Okay, because I so, knew they had changed it to slug or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, just assumed that it was a trademark thing, or I didn't know. You know? No, I mean, I, that's what it is. I mean. I still call when I'm when I'm reading the comics, my brain just goes to slag. Mm-hmm. Sure. But you know, I don't I don't care what they call it on the package. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Because, you know, the toy is whatever you want it to be. It's your your toy. But like to be so um, sensitive about it that, you know, we're we're talking about like even if it offends one person to where like, you know, like I I read a tweet today. This is unacceptable to me. I mean, you know, it's just like the the, the entitlement to have that attitude is is obnoxious. So I I try to be as equitable in my thinking as I can be. I try to see every issue from both sides because, you know, it, you know, in the case of, let's say the slave one, you know, let's say you've got the people who are really anti changing the name, right. And they really want their, their childhood to be protected or their childhood memory or their nostalgia to be protected. It's, it's too easy for for me to think well screw that person you know i mean you know like and make the argument i just make if it hurts even one person why not change it you Mm -hmm. know i try to be as equitable in my thought and understand that this person probably doesn't feel that way because they want to hurt somebody or because they don't care about the feelings of other people they're just trying to defend their own nostalgia they're trying to defend the thing that they remember that's important to them and that's that's worth remembering you know Mm -hmm. and so it's it's important in my mind not to while advocating for a more conscientious way of referring to things and advocating for changing words that are harmful to people or make people feel less than it's also important not to cast aspersion on the people who probably don't mean any harm by wanting to keep the name slave one 
You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. I think because I mean, if you do cast dispersion, that means that you're not communicating with that person. And in order for them to come around and to feel the same empathy that you hope they feel, you're going to have to communicate with them. You're going to have to have a position of of empathy, of shared empathy with that person. You're just mm-hmm. going to make them hold on to it even tighter. Right. You're going to you, double down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I bring up the ship, not ironically enough, again, not not to dwell on the name change too much, but like one of the things that I really appreciated about Boba Fett being part of Mandalorian is that you got to see the inner workings of the ship in a way that we had never had before. It's like, how satisfying was that when they're like sitting in the middle and you watch like the gears turn around it? That that was so cool. And I think... Because you can't deny the slave one... Well, the the fire fire spray. Fire spray, gunship. dopest ass designs of all time, man. The fact that it has a flight attitude that is not just straight, you know, like I mean, that, but that actually flies. That's amazing, you know. And then in Attack, I think it was Attack of the Clones, where they introduced the idea that it has those sonic bombs. The, the yeah. Those are the best sound in all of uh, them. So cool. Dope, man, that was the best part of that movie, man, was that because it, it just, everything goes silent and pong, you know. I was like, oh, yeah. that's so rad, you know. Yeah. And then when they used it again, you know, uh, yeah. I was I was all up when in When they it. used it in Mando? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it smoked those TIE fighters. I mean, uh, again, it's like, how satisfying is that? It's like, oh, man, I'm nostalgic for something for the prequel area. Oh, man. You know, it's kind of like, you know, mildly embarrassed there for a sec. But there's. And we're getting to know a piece of that lore better. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. um, regardless of what it's called, uh, yeah. we're getting to know the, the ship better. You know, right. because it's being used. It's we're we're getting a chance to fly around in it and and yeah, I mean, see it being used. Look at again, I'm going back to like how little you're you're seeing in the original trilogy. Yeah. You know, you don't really get to see a lot of that ship. And no. you know, the opening of or was it the, whenever you see it in Attack of the Clones where they're going around those asteroids and stuff. I mean that right. you're like the, this design of the ship should not work, but it does. But right. it does, and, and it's so I mean, because cool. if you're thinking of a ship that you're, it's going to be in space. You don't have to worry about aerodynamics and stuff. Right. And you have these hover technologies in this universe. Why are you making a ship that looks like an X-wing? You know, right. It looks like yeah. a plane with, right. with, you know. But then so, it makes sense because they're used in low, uh, low atmosphere combat, so they would have yeah. to have some kind of aer- right. aeronautic. Aer- right. But aer- then aer- you have this other ship. You know, it's just a gunship. It it works, and I, I love it. Right. And but then, and, you know, the same argument that is like, well, this is why X-Wings look like planes is because they're in, you know, low atmosphere combat. But so are TIE fighters and those couldn't fly at all. There's no right, flight so. in a TIE fighter. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a universe where space magic exists, so it's right. it's like you know there, there's just there's just a certain suspension of disbelief that must always come. Well, when in I my talk- mind, it's not even a question of suspension of disbelief because we're we're in that galaxy. We're dealing with. Uh, I read a really interesting article that talked about why technology doesn't change in the in the Star Wars universe, and it's because that universe has re- reached a technological equilibrium. There is no expansion of technology left they have hit the the height of technology everything that can be done technologically has been done uh and so one of those pieces of or facets of technology is 
the absolute mastery of of anti-gravity and and weight suspension mm-hmm. sure. you know that's why it can be used for literally everything from you know litters that you know carry heavy objects to spaceships that hover even when they're powered down because they have mastered that concept which is why a tie fighter doesn't matter if it's aeronautical or, or, yeah. or uh, aerodynamically designed which also kind of goes back to the the arrogance of the huts having all those people having to hold so much man that they even though they can they still want to have it you know carried by a bunch of poor souls oh my gosh and And just the bow in in their dais there (laughs) that was the most realistic hut i have seen in the cgi era and just the fact that the actors looked like they were struggling was just great yeah, they, yeah. They, they looked great, and the whole – it did. It looked like there was weight there, and, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, so with the, the, the fire spray gunship, you know, I, I – um... I, I got I got chills when when old Boba says like I got some scores to settle <laughs> and yeah. just like I mean I felt about that sequence very similar to how I felt of that episode of Mandalorian like at, that when um, after he's redone the armor and like the camera pans up to that poor stormtrooper that's about to get his head caved in um, right. like you know as soon as you hear like the the roar of the jets as he rolls up on that biker gang and just smokes them like so much salmon it's just it's yeah, very i love i love that scene too, where he's just you know again spraying fire down on them, <laughs> you know well and, yeah. and it starts from just this dot on the horizon yeah. i mean cinematography wise that was just great i think john favreau directed that episode is that correct the fourth episode um, uh, let me check sure. that. My is... favorite director, my favorite episodes of The Mandalorian were directed by, oh, it was a female. Uh, I can't remember her name right off the top of my head, but is she it... directed, uh, not Bryce Dallas Howard, but no. she directed, I think, three of the episodes. Oh. And it, it didn't even occur to me until I was kind of re-watching the series, and I thought, wow, this is my favorite episode. It, and then I did it again. I'm like, this is another favorite episode, and they were all three directed by the same person. So I really hope she directs was, something in Book of Boba Fett. I think it's no, well, I think who you're thinking of is um, the woman that's going to be directing all the Obi-Wan series. Oh, really? What Do you remember I her name? I can't remember her name. I'm, I'll look it up. It's, um, is she? So she's going to be directing the Obi-Wan series? Yeah, yeah, it's it's basically her show, I think. Yeah, that just blows me. Her her episodes, like I said, I just happened to kind of randomly pick those whatever three episodes as my favorites, and then turns out they're all directed by the same person. Um, so so a nerdy piece of legislation. So like, I mean, again, I I love how uh the the gunship just slow rolls up on the Sarlacc pit, right? <laughs> and but. Uh, I, I was having some discussions with some folks here at work, and it's like, well, hey, Mike, make this make sense to me. So at a time where, like, Lando Calrissian can just, like, shoot a, a with tentacle a pistol. With, a, with a little pistol, and uh, but yet the whole thing can 
start to take hold of the the gunship and like pull it down into the maw. They couldn't quite figure out the the uh, physics of all that, and I I guess I didn't really think about it as a point that bothered me. But the person I was talking to seemed to be really hung up on it. What, it uh, didn't bother me, but then I have a tendency to let the art wash over me. Like I I don't question things. You know, unless it's just blatant, unless it's really getting in my face. Um, but if I had to put some thought to that question, it would be when, you know, when the Sarlacc was trying to get Lando, the Sarlacc was in control of its situation, right? So it was not in any way scared or whatever. It was mm. basically just eating plankton, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it, yeah. No bigs, you know? <laughs> But when this ship comes and it's got real firepower and real weight, now the Sarlacc's in it for its life, right? Yeah. And so it's not extending its little bullshit tentacles. It's throwing out the big guns, right? But, and, yeah. and the ones that can hold and grab a ship, you know? So yeah. maybe, I mean, you know, I'm I'm probably inventing headcanon here, but, you know. I mean, it, I it, like was, it. Pro it was probably used to the Jabba sail barge coming by and dropping in right. a few, you know, yeah. treats every so often. <laughs> yeah. like um, like my cat that just you know kind of like meows at me when it wants treats he, he's right. like treats and i'm like oh yeah sure buddy he d he doesn't have to work especially hard to get those right. treats <laughs> yeah. so I, I do like how they they reconciled the beak of the sarlacc where yeah. it was added in the special editions people you know either like it or don't and here it retracts it you know right. it hides when it's not needed Mm-hmm. Um, but Deborah Chow was that director. Deborah Chow, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. She she is um doing the Obi Wan series. Oh, and she is doing the Obi Wan series. That's yeah. great. Cause she's good, man. I I like I said, it was just kind of a weird random happenstance that I picked out my three favorite episodes and she was the director of them. Mm -hmm. I wanna say three, it might have been two. Gotcha. Um so yeah, I mean I I think that's about the the list of my hit list items you know it's like we you know we've kind of gone through the four episodes we, we've talked about the characters we've talked about where where we think um somewhat the trajectory of where the show is um i i guess i guess one of the last questions i want to want to put to the both of you guys is like once we get to see uh i i guess boba fett as the way I don't know, I'm reluctant to say like as fans want him to be, but like basically like no more flashbacks. We're it's going to be just all out action. Which it, I'm it, assuming is the follow, the next three episodes. I would imagine. So you're going to get three episodes of that. I would imagine. Uh, and I guess so. Looking at our crystal ball, is that is that going to satisfy folks? Is that is am, or are we still cursed for these garbage clickbait articles that we've been talking so much about? You're never going to get rid of that. Yeah. You know, I think if my experience is, is of any use, it, you know, what you have is the bulk of people who are watching this are probably eating it up. You know what I mean? They like it. They might have a few quibbles here and there, you know, maybe don't like the, the, the mods on their scooters or whatever. Um, but, but by and large, like it's a great series, you know. Uh, but unfortunately, what you have is this small minority of dickheads, right? Yeah. Who, who, uh, you know, have got to make, they've got to produce articles that generate clicks. They've, they've got to, you know, 
they've got to define themselves on Twitter or Instagram. And, and unfortunately it's easier to define yourself with a, a stupid hot take than it is with, you know, just being thoughtful and, you know, expressing interest or, or, uh, uh, being a fan, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, they're going to be out there. I, to be honest, man, I, my use of, of social media is such that I, I post, pictures on instagram on occasion every now and then i'll post on twitter but by and large it's so full of people like i i call twitter being lectured 240 characters at a time there you it know is. i mean i so i don't have time for that you know yeah, so yeah. Yeah. well and, and and blackie one of the one of the uh coolest bits of wisdom you've given to me is like you know we, we've talked about like you know the the rowdy vocal minority in other cases and you've told me don't mistake the tip of the spear for being the majority you know right. like 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 letting the noise um you know kind of define what like what could be perceived as everybody because right. like I've I've used some of that phrasing before, and it's like no no no. Think about it a little bit. You know these people that are making the most noise, that doesn't necessarily mean they're the majority. That just mm -hmm. means that they're the, they're the most they're loud. the loudest. That's yes. literally it. They're just the loudest. Yeah, you know. Um, and I've found most often the people with the least amount to say stay at the loudest. Yeah, I mean, and by and large, if you look at. Outside of the the hardcore Star Wars fandom, mm -hmm. just the everyday person that is you know watching this, you know they're not posting online about it. They're right. just sitting there, either enjoying it or not enjoying it, and going about with their lives. Yeah, right. Well, like my wife, you know, my wife likes Star Wars, but she's nowhere even close to my level of of you know nerdification on it. Mm -hmm. um, and she doesn't have any problem with the scooters. You know, she she didn't have a problem with the the chase she has enjoyed the show you know perfectly well from start to finish you know um so i and i think you know when you, there's two strata you've got the hardcore star wars fans who generally speaking if it's star wars and it's made with the right headspace they're gonna like it mm -hmm. uh and then you've got general people who as long as it doesn't right out of the gate suck they're gonna like it you know yeah yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I I think that's that's about all we got. I mean, I so um, closing thoughts. Uh, you know, things that that were on your guys's hit list that uh, that you wanted to mention that we might not have now. Now would be a great time to toss that out there. Well, I think for me, the one thing that I definitely would have changed or something that they could have done to improve my enjoyment of it would be. Give me a time period for each flashback because mm. like at first i thought that they were all taken within the same you know short amount of time but then it's clear you know in that last episode that is a span of years so even if it was you know a post on starwars.com you know like behind the scenes stuff and just kind of mentioning the time frame of the the flashbacks it would have you know, I'm I'm just a nerd about stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, to give you some sense of continuity, I mean, right. they could have done something like that. Or, I mean, if they really wanted to put it in the show, maybe the early flashbacks, uh, what are those dog kind of monsters called? Uh, I can't remember the name of them. But let's say, you know, in the early flashbacks, there's one and it's a baby. 
you yeah. know, and, and yeah. just one, it's a little bit bigger just to give you a sense of time passage and where yeah. you are relative to that, that passage. Yeah. Of time. I mean, that's just one of my, my biggest issues, but I mean, it's not a big issue at all. Well, it confused it, me as well. My wife, yeah. too. We, we both kind of had to take a minute and, and parse that out. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, the episode one is right after Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Episode four, when he finds Finnick, that's season one of The Mandalorian. Right. which is like five, 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 six years after Return of the Jedi. Right. right. So it's just, you know, everything in the middle, you're like, when does that take place? Yeah, it's very ill-defined, and, and I, I'm with you guys. I, I found myself a bit confused. And also, the other thing that's unclear, and maybe this will be addressed, um, so again, that that's the, the, the uh, double-edged sword of commenting on something halfway through, is you don't know specifically when... Cobb Vanth gets the armor. You don't know how long yeah. he's been the marshal. I mean, so, yeah. so you got to throw that in there too. And I was, I'll admit, I was a little disappointed that we didn't touch on that. Where yeah. it's like, in you fact, know, they blew completely by it. Almost, almost uh, specifically so. You know, right? I mean, it, that story is kind of told in the aftermath books. Um, just essentially, there's like, um, there are these kind of chapters that are like outside of the the normal story that you're reading and one is just showing him getting it from the um the jawas okay i'm i'm still not sure exactly i don't i don't think it mentions exactly what time period so that's still up in the air but um you know we do know he gets it from the jaw one i think he recounted that in the mandalorian yeah it showed it in the mandalorian yeah it's it's just kind of like and and I think to your point, Blackie, I think at this point it's probably specifically unclear. Yeah. Right. Um, and, like and, like they're gonna and, do something with I mean, that. And not of a huge amount of importance. The idea is everybody knows kind of where the pieces wound up. So right. you know, the the connective tissue is not super uh and, super necessary. And we're still within within like a six year time period. Right. As well. I guess I was just hoping for a little more Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> I mean, I, who knows? I, how can you not? Who that knows? guy is money on the money in the bank, man. Yeah. You know, I it. mean, they they might call for him. I mean, well, that's the thing. He's on Tatooine. He's you know, he's a sheriff. Let's uh, let's make it happen. Oh man, and maybe like he get he gets his own like you know Mandalorian style armor or something. <laughs> oh man, that that would be dope. That would be dope. And yeah, so that's. <laughs> So that's well, he's that, got a taste for it. So that, that's true. Yeah. That's true. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, apropos of nothing, but still, like one of one of my uh, favorite lines from that from that episode is like with with the busted jetpack, and he's like, "Now you t- when you give that back to your people, you tell them that that was broken when I got it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, just, I just love that. Yeah, it's right. Good stuff. Um, so yeah, so uh, I, I I think with that, I think that kind of uh, uh, closes this. Uh, we're gonna put a bookmark in it figuratively, and you know, and we'll close the book of Boba Fett for uh, uh, for now. Uh, but uh, I mean, thank you guys why for hanging out. Why this don't was we time. do this again yeah. at the uh, after the last episode? 
Yeah. I, I think so. And I've uh, I've been in contact with a, a few other folks that would be very interested to join the conversation as well. So we might have to we might have to expand this even further out and uh, and have a larger conversation that I, I promise I will plan a little more ahead <laughs> rather than like, oh, hey, you know, because really it just it just kind of came to me Sunday afternoon. I was like, you know what? It's 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 before the fifth episode and it feels like it would be a good time. So, yeah, no, I'm just I'm just going to jump on. And then, yeah, my uh, my my friends started knocking at my door. So I, um, like I said, I think one, I, I'm grateful to you guys for uh, uh, for for reaching out and for uh, being down to clown on on uh, on short notice. But yeah, no, I'll uh, I'll plan a little further ahead uh, when when the show wraps up. And yeah, we'll see if we can get some of our other friends in here as well. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think that will wrap it up for this particular uh, chapter of the book of Boba Fett. Um, before uh, before. Before we part ways, uh, Blackie Shepard, you always got irons in the fire, and I know you got stuff coming up. I saw, I saw um, a uh, um, a retail incentive cover coming up. I think, like I heard, like you got some interiors coming up. Yeah, um, so I just finished some Transformers interiors for I want to say page or issue forty one. Uh, I've got a retailer incentive cover that I think is out now for, I want to say, issue 39. And I've got another cover, uh, a retailer incentive cover for issue 42, wow, uh, nice. which the one for 42, I'm pretty, pretty proud of it. It, uh, it, it between me and the editors, we came up with a with a concept that I think works really well. It's a it's going to be a dope cover. Very cool. Uh, do you got anything uh, else coming up in the pipe that that's not Transformers related? You got other yeah, stuff? Yeah, so I'm currently working on uh, the second volume of uh, the Reanimator, uh, the Eternal Lie that I did with Cullen Bunn for Dynamite. Uh, it, that ended on a cliffhanger, so now we're doing the second volume of that. Uh, so I'm I'm hard at work at that. Um, and I'm also cooking up a couple of things for this year that uh, I really I have a couple of stories that I want to tell that uh, that I might self-publish um, oh. because I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find a publisher that's going to want to publish something quite this twisted. So I, <laughs> I may have to do it on my own. But uh, so I've got a couple of things like that in the fire. So I've got I've got an enormous thing amount of stuff. And I'm also continuing to cook my uh my toy line so uh yeah. i'm hoping i'll have something for people to see that see of that uh later this year i i'm super stoked about that it's like every time we chat you you're like i'm still doing the toys i was like i'm a little right, bit closer right, cool, I get cool, a little cool. bit closer every time <laughs> i can't you know, wait to be honest my my progress on that it boils down a lot to my uh skills in zbrush right uh that's where i'm doing all of my uh my character models Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm, I am my own worst critic. And if it doesn't look to look good to me on ZBrush, then I have to continue leveling up my skills until my sculpt is, you know, I'm holding my sculpts up to, you know, the toys that I like, you know, and, and so it has to be top shelf. It's got to be professionals uh, quality. Gotcha. Now this uh this might be a little too uh, provocative and spicy for this particular conversation as we're trying to uh, close out, but um, one of one of the elephants in the room is obviously Blackie. You have uh, uh, worked with and continue to uh, do work for IDW. 
Um, do you have any particular comments that you would like to share publicly about the news about the uh, license? Oh, man. Other than the fact that it bums me out, um, you know, I the thing is, is, you know, even before I was working for IDW, I was a fan of what they were doing with G.I. Joe and the Transformers. I think they've done a, mm -hmm. an absolutely stellar job with both of those franchises. Um, I'm much more uh, engaged with the Transformers franchise uh, just because I have been reading it my whole life, you know, yeah. uh, and, and I followed it, you know, from, from Marvel to whatever devils do to, uh, to IDW. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm, I've just been so amazed by everything that they've done as a company with the transformers you know and john barber's work and you know some of the amazing artists that they've had you know um and so to see them losing the license i uh you know even beyond you know professionally it just bums me out because you know uh you, they're doing a good job i hate to see them you know cut off at the knees now they've got a, another year's worth of stories to tell. So that's nice. Yeah. That's um, kind of rare in comics. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then uh, if it, it, what I've read, and I don't know if this is true, but what I've read is that uh, it's going to go to, to uh, skybound. That's the rumor. Uh, yeah. Which is Kirkman's yeah. uh, imprint. Mm -hmm. um, well-known Transformers fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, I it, from a professional point of view, if I can continue drawing some Transformers for Skybound, I'd love to do it. Um, but I, you know, ultimately, I'm uh, just grateful that that IDW has given me the opportunity to work on the Transformers, you know, up to this point, and I hope I get to do a little more, more for them, you know, before they uh, before they pass the license on. Excellent. Very good. If uh, if folks want to, uh, you, you we talked about social media earlier, but if folks wanted to check out your uh, stuff online, wanted to connect with you on social media, is where uh, where can folks find Blackie Shepherd? Best place to do that is Instagram, which is uh, my handle on Instagram is artdevil three one three, and you can also find me on Twitter at uh, at cq shep s h e p. Terrific. And and again, thanks for jumping on. Really, really appreciate you being here. Yeah, man. It's my pleasure. Always. So Jeremy, it is yeah. it's it's time. Uh right. what's uh what's going on with uh with transmissions and and uh and feel free and plug thyself. Well we have our eighth annual best of survey that is gonna be going out. I'm not sure when this goes out, but uh January Wednesday the twenty sixth is when oh, okay. our survey goes live. And it will be the best of all Transformers um, official third-party comics, cartoons, Netflix, everything of 2021. Do you, and, can, do you include toys in that? Yeah, toys, comics, everything. So obviously Cyclonus is going to win the top spot. <laughs> I don't know. This is completely fan-voted, so you know we'll have to see. It was a great figure. It um, was, man. But, yeah, that will go live, and we're doing something new this year. We're offering a uh, drawing. So an email address is not required to do the survey, but if you want oh, to enter, okay. we have to have a way to contact you. So we're asking for an email address that we will only use for the contest. And we – I can't remember 
can't remember all the prizes. I know we're giving away that um, Batman-themed third-party figure from TFCon last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I we have a prize pack of uh, the blue the 4K Blu-ray of the A6 movie with that um, that lithograph print and oh, and wow. uh, uh, constructed the respect the prime constructed cold CD. So all all of those are going to be those. We're, we're doing like a media prize and two toy prizes. Yeah, yeah. Shout so, out to Jimmers. That's awesome. Yeah. So very cool. That's you know just kind of an incentive. We will. Um, if you go to transmissionspodcast.com slash survey, it'll take you right there after the 26th. And uh, it's it's always a great thing to just kind of see where the community is in terms of um, of what, com- what came out over the last year. And it's we'll been be, a big year. Yeah. I, I was surprised. I mean, like, with the lack of conventions, just the number of, like, Hasbro exclusives that they have put out, it seems like it's just blown up yeah um but when the results are in we'll do a live stream of all the results and it'll be a lot of fun cool cool very good now how how long you guys been doing transmissions now it seems like forever Uh, eight and a half years jeez congratulations we're we're middle-aged thanks we're (laughs) middle-aged that's awesome in internet years you're 45 yeah i was gonna say uh old enough to drink my gosh yeah well cool well uh um anything else oh how uh how can we get a hold of you on the internets and the socials Uh, and my my twitter is yakko.org that's y-a-k-k zero d-o-t-o-r-g and um that's probably the best place to get a hold of me Okay, very cool. All right, well, and again, uh, thank you so much. Uh, we really yeah. uh, appreciate uh, all you guys hanging out. And yeah. uh, and and that will do it. That, that will wrap things up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening and for watching and for hanging out with us. And if you want to listen to all of my past shows, you could subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or other places you listen to your podcasts and you can become a Mike Cybertronian and join the MSRP friends and fans Facebook group where where my friends here uh, found out about this episode and started beating down my door so if you want to beat down my door that's a that's a good place to catch me or you could tune in for a future Mike Cyber Radio podcast live stream uh, that's streaming on Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook Live. Like, share, rate, and review the show. Let us know what you'd like and what you'd like to hear more of in the future. For my guests, Apollo, Blackie Shepard, and Jeremy, my name is Mike. This has been Mike Cyber Radio. And until next time, tell all or one, make the choices. You've been listening to the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at Mike Seibert Radio. Email us at MikeSeibertRadio at gmail.com. The spelling on that, of course, is S-E-I-B-E-R-T. Call into the voicemail hotline at 231-224-MIKE. Once again, that's 231-224-6453. Special thanks to Michael Geisler for our theme music. For more like it, check out bydoormusic.com. This has been a Mike Seibert radio production. Um, did either of you think that you were going to be back in the world of Star Wars? I mean, even Ming, you were killed off in season one. You know, obviously, Tim, you've been off the grid for longer. Did you ever think you were going to come back? Uh, no, but I was praying. 
praying to the force and uh, so happy, so very happy. And, and to get to be partnered up with the legendary Tim Muero Morrison, AKA Boba Fett. It, uh, it's really surreal. It was a dream. Yeah. No, I didn't think I'd be back uh, after the Attack of the Clones and playing Django. I had uh, no idea that uh, this would come to fruition, but um, I did hear rumors uh, when the, uh, actually I didn't hear any rumors, but I heard about the Mandalorian mm -hmm. and that kind of world. So uh, there was like a, uh, a, a tinge of hopefulness, I guess, uh, that someone may ring and, uh, um, but yeah, that was about it, but uh, there was no kind of thing. But then when I did the meeting with John Favreau and Dave Filoni, um, he outlined a few things. So yes, very excited just to make that comeback, um, especially in The Mandalorian and get to meet uh, everybody again. And then um, uh, having this book of Boba, you know, come to fruition as well was just, just even amazing. Yeah. And way cool, way cool, well, it was just way cool. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Uh, Boba Fett's ship has been stripped of, of its name. So I was wondering, have you guys given any thought to what, what we could call Boba Fett's ship now? I think we call it the fire spray. I think I've mentioned it in a couple of episodes. Yeah. I don't think fire spray. I mean, it is a gunship now. That's what we're calling it. We're the calling gunship. it a fire spray gunship. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, without yes. spoiling anything, we've only seen two episodes. What are you most excited about fans seeing in the the coming episodes of Book of Boba Fett? Well, I just think we've been quite blessed that we actually didn't see Boba Fett do too, too much. much. So, yeah. so it gives the John and the writers and Dave and all them scope. It gives them, uh, um, and this is where they're very, very clever and, you know, because they have to make everything kind of make sense in the Star Wars uh, world and the Star Wars saga. So, you know, tying all those things together and creating this uh, series and placing it where you know within the uh, the whole Star Wars time frame was just incredible. But um, and that took a lot of uh, thinking and a lot of uh, um, uh, workshopping and meetings, I'm sure. But uh, I guess we're kind of blessed that Dave Filoni too. You know, he's like the, you know, he's got the uh, the mantle. He's got George Lucas's respect. So uh, we're very very blessed there. And um, him and John have worked so well together. Uh, you know, to, to yep. put all the pieces together. And now we can explore what's happened to Boba and uh, bring it to the world. We've only had episode two, but it's going to, I think, uh, just quietly, it's going to get bigger and better. Oh, yes. I can't yes. wait. Well, thank you guys so much. It was such a thrill to get to chat with you. Thank, thank you very you. much for your time. Bye. Really appreciate Bye. it. Bye.